The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. This is Speedball Mike Bailey. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yes. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chill and let them have it cause this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get go boy yeah from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome this is keeping it strong style with your host Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Joshua Smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcasts on the social suplex podcast network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith On today's show we will review best of the Super Junior 30 finals Preview Dominion and cover all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network Or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice And leaving a rating and review you can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, uh, I, I know we, we've known each other uh, for, for quite some time now, but I, I got to ask you an important question. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, are, you, are you the person behind Dark Pureza Flosion? Um... I will plead the fifth to protect my. <laughs> no, why would did someone? I don't understand what's going on with that. I don't know who Dark Peroflosion is. No, nobody knows. Then that that's the issue. Oh, they don't. No, like this Twitter account is kind of blown up out of nowhere. You know, we've we've said some of the reports before, but the more and more stuff starts coming out from this, you know, and I've seen other people kind of questioning it today, and especially with the last. Tweet that came out about quote unquote comments from Kota Ibushi. Some, some things just are not adding up for me. And a, a lot of people, same thing. They're starting to wonder who is behind this account. Are they actually talking to the wrestlers? And so. I'm a deep. What, what is it? Dark Pearl Flusion? Flusion. <laughs> dark 
Pureflosion. Pureflosion. Yeah. Okay. So DPF. The the dark Pureflosion. Flo- yeah. P DPF. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a DPFer, bro. <laughs> Why would they lie? What did they stand to gain from it? They're telling the unmitigated truth, and I just don't think other people can handle it at this point. Hmm. Yeah. Is this something that's happening on Twitter? Yeah. And so that's... See, I got my own shit going on. I haven't been on Twitter <laughs> in like a week. I've got like a real life with real problems. <laughs> <laughs> so, my fucking phone got ran over this week. <laughs> so the identity of uh, Dark Pure as a is the last thing on your mind is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unless this is just a really elaborate, you know, thing I'm throwing out there to throw you all off the scent. Let, let's be honest. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've never lied in my life, but I'm not, I'm not someone to hide behind anonymity. I say it with my fucking chest. Okay. (laughs) I don't need a burner account. Okay. I'm the man that single-handedly got this show blocked by David Bixon span. All right. (laughs) How? I don't know, but we are, and it's not changing. (laughs) So no, and I would never I would never lie about talking to Kota Ibushi. All right. I've never talked to any Japanese wrestler in my life. Mm. Well, I mean, we talked to them at the press conference in uh, Dallas. It, oh, that's true. That was with the translator. That's correct. <laughs> I mean, the closest I ever had to like a personal conversation was like I, I ran up to Shibata and pointed at my shirt and tried to in, imply to him that I was wearing his shirt and he just didn't care. So that's about <laughs> that's about the full <laughs> The full extent of, you know, you've had more, you know, positive run-ins with Japanese professional wrestlers at meet and greets and stuff like that than I have. So, yeah, no, I'm not DPF. And, you know, if DPF wants to to come on the show and, you know, let the whole world know who they actually are and how they have these sources and, and, you know, clear their name. No, the clear your name, DPF. Come on, keeping it strong style and let the thousands... And thousands <laughs> of downloaders and listeners <laughs> learn the truth. <laughs> oh man, Yo, I'm in a silly mood, bro. Like, I, <laughs> my, my girlfriend went out of town, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not gonna lie, like, and it has nothing to do with her, but like, which when I found out she was going out of town, I was like, <laughs> Why are you laughing? Uh, go ahead, go ahead. When I found out she was going out of town, I was like, oh, hell yeah. I'm going to like, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to live it up. I had so many plans, so many cool plans, like said, that were private that only I knew about. I'm like, I... because like we have different, um, different things that we eat. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to make steak and like shrimp and just eat all this food. I don't know. Norm- I can't normally have when she's around. That's going to be awesome. Hamburgers. And then, um, you know, I was gonna, bro, I was gonna watch a, a horror movie marathon. I had like twelve movies picked out. I was like, I'm just gonna binge these for the next four days, and like I had it all set. But then, little by little, more and more things kept popping up, and I just had a bunch of like things to do, like like bullshit, you know, like chores, and uh, <laughs> not from her. This is just things that you know, like when you're an adult, you have to take care of stuff. Yeah. That's just what started happening. And then, like, every day my my schedule got busier and busier. And then 
you know, New Japan decided to have this entire fucking tournament and I had to watch all this wrestling and so I could talk to you and all these, you know, schmoes. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, my, my phone got ran over and that like completely ruined my weekend. And like, you, you don't realize how integral your phone is until it gets run over six <laughs> times on 54. So it's been a, it's been a really, really hectic weekend and it's not been enjoyable i didn't get to watch any of the horror movies the aw pay-per-view sucked balls and yeah so i'm but i'm glad i'm here you know well we made it through we persevered yeah maybe yeah talking about new japan pro wrestling can lift your spirits because i mean i'm pretty optimistic and pretty happy about the conclusion of this tournament and uh what dominion looks like so i I think this could be a a really good show i'm not gonna lie I think that this tournament, and we'll get into it, this is probably the most Super Junior, Super Juniors tournament they've done in like four years. Mm. So there's a lot of positives there, and I am excited to do the show. I always am. It's glad, you know, it's a great time talking to you. And um, to kind of take the edge off, I poured myself a strong drink, you know, strong style, like the (laughs) Japanese tables. Yes. And uh, we, we can get into it. All right, let's do it. This so. is gonna be the highlight of my my four day weekend. <laughs> well, uh, let's start um, from the A block finals. So we'll start with best of Super Junior thirty. We'll go from the A block finals all the way to the actual finals from Sunday. So last time we recorded, they're all actual finals. <laughs> the, the grand uh, final. That's true. Uh, um, so last Tuesday. May 23rd, we had the A-Block final night from the Edeon Arena Osaka number 2 with an attendance of 831. Uh, so the show opened up, we had Great Okan and TJP defeating Oscar Lube and Yuto Nakashima. And we're not going to spend a ton of time on these undercards, but I, I have to say, Josh, I am buying stock in Oscar Lube. Yeah, it's funny, we... uh We've got a guest coming on next weekend, a um, friend of mine, uh, Tony Donati. He's a local independent wrestler. You might recognize the name from uh, AEW fame because him and his tag team partner, Fabu Andre, they had a uh, you know a brief run during the early days of the pandemic. And he was here for the, the pod, or not for the podcast, for the uh, pay-per-view last night. And Jeremy was like, yeah, I really like Oscar Lube. He's like, oh, I saw that guy. He's great. And then we started talking more and more, and he's like, he's like a big, burly, strong dude that like throws people around. We're like, are you talking about Oleg Bolton? He's like, oh, who who are you guys talking about? We're like the guy he tagged with that night that you were watching. He's like the gangly guy. <laughs> he's like, no, I don't like the gangly guy. <laughs> Yo, Oscar's put on a ton of muscle since he started. He's filling out that frame. He had a ton yeah. of intensity on all these undercard matches he was on. And he's gotten a lot better since uh, we first seen him. And, man, I, I love the fire from him. I thought Oscar Louisville is great since day one. I, I really like him. I think that he does have a different look and a uh, different kind of, like, size. And, you know, um, I, I think there's a lot of upside with him. So, you know, it remains to be seen. But I, I don't think you're wrong for buying stock early. Yeah. Uh, so after that, we had El Desperado and Rey Oiwa defeating the TMDK team of Kosei Fujita and Robbie Eagles. 
Then we had Dan Maloney and Francisco Akira of the United Empire defeating Clark Connors and Gato from Bullet Club. Then Kevin Knight, Master Wato, and Yo defeated Taichi, Taka Michinoku, and Yoshinobu Kanamaru from just five guys. And then we got into the final A block matches on this evening. So first up, we had Risuke Taguchi defeating Kushida, 12 minutes and 7 seconds. So Taguchi, he gets one finally up on the board, uh, ending a tournament 1-8 and eight here uh, and getting a big win over Kushida. Yeah, this was somewhat of a crossroads match, and I think we might have made mention of that last week. But, you know, uh, Taguchi and Kushida, they've got a lot of history with one another, stable mates, you know, once upon a time. I think they were both technically like Taguchi Japan at one point, right? Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Pretty sure. Yeah. And, you know, they both had very similar stories, you know, kind of running through this tournament that they couldn't win. And, uh, you know, the big one, or not even the big one, they couldn't even just win, generally speaking, um, Taguchi more so than Kushida. But it was definitely a, a case where neither guy seemed to be able to compete at the highest levels, whilst even though they were still showcasing superior talents in and of their matches, they couldn't find a, a winning formula for a lot of these matches. So they finally showed up on the final night. And, you know, it was really interesting to see what was going to happen here because Kushida came in with just two wins. And it's like, do you have him win and kind of bring him up more to par with some of his contemporaries and just leave Taguchi totally out in the cold winless and make it very definitive that he has no no spot here anymore? Or... Do you go the opposite way and have Taguchi get his one redemptive law or win, and then Kushida is really in the doldrums, sitting with just two wins overall for the entire tournament? And they went with the latter, and uh, I was a little surprised there. There was uh, definitely sort of an internal story because Taguchi, by and large, played this tournament straight, and in this match, it wasn't that he, in you know, the, the way that it was booked, it wasn't that he intentionally exposed his ass or got his ass involved, but it's just happenstance that at the very, very end of the match leading into the final stanza, he did happen to get exposed to his buttocks and it, that must have given him his powers. I don't know because that's where he won the match. Yeah. Kushida accidentally yeah, pulled down uh, his trunk. So yeah, the, the bottoms are out and he was able to lock on the, the, Oh my girl ankle ankle lock on Kushida and Kushida tapped out so you know for the most part (laughs) Taguchi (laughs) kept his word he wrestled straight the whole tournament um and even in this match where his uh you know trunks got pulled down it wasn't because of him and you know we had the great camera work of the New Japan world team you know using the 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 middle rope to you know censor (laughs) they were censoring it with the they do such good camera work. It's crazy. <laughs> and uh, Robbie was on commentary. He's like, don't bend over. Don't bend over. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so big win here for the Gucci. Finally getting a win in this tournament. Ending the tournament uh, one and eight with only two points. So kind of a big win over here for Kushida. But then Kushida, you know, ending the tournament here uh, with only four points, two and seven. Not what anybody expected from, you know, the former ace of this division. Uh, you know, if this was any other year, you you know, you, you rewind the clock back to, you know, 2019, 2018, Kushida would, would be at the top of this uh, block here, but that was not the case here. Uh, very interesting booking of Kushida, very questionable. 
Um, it kind of makes you question, yeah, where does he, where does the future lie for Kushida in New Japan? I know he's, you know, now at the new head of the new New Japan Academy in L.A., the new L.A. Dojo kind of, you know, format they're doing now. But still, it's, it's kind of weird how he was booked here. I'll get to the Kushida booking in just one moment. I have a fear, though, Jeremy, as it pertains to Taguchi. Mm. My fear is that he played it straight the entire tournament. The one time he got exposed and got the ass play involved in his match, he picked up the W. He might swear off ever having serious matches ever again. And be like, <laughs> that just goes to show you that when I have, you know, that aspect of my matches involved that I stand a better chance at winning. So you will never get big match to Gucci ever again from here on <laughs> out. It's nothing. This was the, uh, the, swan, the swan song for a uh, big match to Gucci. It's very, very possible. Um, as it pertains to uh, Kushida, and what I'm going to make here is somewhat its a blanket statement because it's not just going to apply to him. It's going to apply to many of the kind of storylines that we see trailing all throughout the Best of Super Juniors. We, every year, come on this podcast and we track those stories and we you know catalog them and then we speculate as to what is going to be the fallout and several things happen here just depending and and it only time is going to tell what's really going to transpire um many of the stories that happen in best of super juniors end up ultimately just kind of being self-contained things that occur in the tournament and then don't have far-reaching effects or if they do they might just sort of be somewhat supplemental aspects of that wrestler's character but they don't lead to a greater narrative following the tournament you know what i mean right especially considering how this is the definitive story tournament for many of these guys unless they're involved later in the year with either the tag team tournament or the tag team titles or the junior title itself, many of them kind of just go back to being pin eaters or involved in other, you know, aspects of storylines involved with their units, but yeah. they themselves aren't really focused on, you know, too much. Yeah. Um, so a few things could happen here is like there could, we might be seeing the genesis of a, of a big story that's getting ready to play out and maybe at dominion or, or, you know, some some other time in the near future we're going to see the culmination of the stories that we're seeing presented in this tournament like with Kushida obviously he's got the tag title so I think there's still some possibility for development there or it could just be something where it's like they wanted to set a precedent for him and kind of a step for him and to Gucci to kind of establish like here's where they're at and that's that and you just kind of have to accept that this is the new pecking order of things until something changes, this is the new reality that we live in. And they've kind of flipped the, the the pecking order on its head. And there's not an actual payoff coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this could have been the story that they were playing until of Kushida from his comeback. Because if you remember last year when he made the big comeback, he challenged Ishimori. But Ishimori was like, no, you have to earn your title shot. I'm not just going to give right. you one. And he was supposed to have a non-title match. So it seems like maybe the story the whole time was going to be like, all right, Kushida has to kind of prove himself again. He's been gone from New Japan for several years now. 
And he has to prove that he's still that same Kushida and has to earn his way to a title shot. So maybe he would have lost to Ishimori in the the non-title match. And we would have had a whole summer and whole story of him trying to rebuild and eating losses and, you know, deciding to team with Kevin Knight to, you know, kind of rebound and get to, you know, Super Junior Tag League and then get to uh, Wrestle Kingdom. But I'll see with the hand, foot, and mouth disease. I, I feel like some of that booking. <laughs> I feel like some of that booking got derailed because of that, and maybe we would have had a, a more bigger picture of this whole story with Kushida, and maybe that story would have changed the outcome of how he was booked in this tournament. And because that was delayed, maybe that story had to start here in the tournament. There's other things too they do. Sometimes they'll have delayed gratification on stories, so. You know, it will take a rest for a while and then they'll come back many months later and kind of bring the stuff back to light when the time is right or never. So, right. I mean, like this, this could be, like you said, a tournament story. They go to Dominion, they beat Cats 2 2, and then he's back on his winning ways. And this was just a, a one tour storyline. That's, that's possible too. So it's really. And the thing is, we put a lot, we, we get invested in a tournament like this. We get, uh, you know, like I said, invested in what's going on. And we kind of think that there's going to be payoffs for all of this stuff. But we kind of also have to be a little real, realistic in that not everybody that's an outsider is going to be working tours and be returning. And not everybody that had stories are going to con- have those stories continue to be major plot points in the greater narrative of New Japan moving forward. They may or may not. We don't really know, and I guess that's where, uh, you know, quote-unquote experts like yourself and I, Jeremy, we kind of uh, speculate and try to be right, (laughs) even though we're not a lot of the time. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, so uh, Kushida eats the L here. Taguchi gets the the win here. So Taguchi ending with two points, one and eight. Kushida ending the tournament two and seven, four points. So the next matchup we had Sho defeating Doki. 10 minutes in 33 seconds. So, show comes to the ring um, and he drags out um, a young lion. I believe it was Oiwa dressed as Doki. Yeah, it was uh, Oiwa. And he, you know, they get evil rings a bell and, you know, the crowd knows it's not Doki and he's trying to, you know, pin Oiwa. I thought it was him. You thought it was Doki? Yeah, I was, I was fooled. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he's trying to pin, quote unquote, Doki. And, you know, the crowd knows it's not him. The ref knows it's not him. Then the real Doki runs um, from backstage. He's all taped up, kind of the same thing he did to uh, Hiromu uh, early in the tournament. And so does that, and um, all we got all kind of shenanigans here, a ref bump, and uh, Doki pulls the pipe out, and then Evil comes in, and all kind of shenanigans happen here. Uh, but eventually, uh, Sho is able to get the, the upper hand on Doki and pins Doki and uh, stops Doki from beating his personal best Super Junior record. So uh, Sho ends the tournament eight points, and Doki ends with six points. Like I've said in the past, um, you know, Gato likes to book tragedies, and this was definitely one. I found myself, you know, shedding a tear or two for, you know, my boy Doki. He's so raw. He deserves better. But, uh, you know, six is his lot in life for now. Yeah, it, it was very yeah, disappointing. I, I thought yeah, Doki could overcome all the shenanigans. It was able to be able to uh, you know fight off Show and Evil and all the shenanigans. But 
Unfortunately, he was not able to um, not able to get past those six points. So, yeah, Shell gets the win here. Um, and yeah, I mean, a fun matchup here, but it sucks. Show sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's another one of those things where, like, I'm wondering is there is there a greater narrative playing out here? It seemed like they were teasing something, but now it's kind of just gone by the wayside. Maybe who knows. Yeah, but, I think uh, I think we looked a little too deep into yeah his show turning, and it's like no, again, it's another kind of like tour long storyline of him just doing different stuff, different shenanigans to try and one up his opponent, and just failing every time. I, well, they might be dropping some bread cut crumbs for later on, you know, because there's we're gonna reach a tipping point with all this bull club stuff, and I don't want to I don't want to relitigate that. <laughs> you know? There's a lot of weird shit going on like you know obviously like like juice it's sort of like why why the fuck is is he bull club or is he bull club gold like what the fuck but whatever um at some point there's gonna we're gonna reach a tipping point when it comes to these guys where you know we're not gonna um be able to continue the bull club as it st- as it stands and so i am wondering where show fits in the narrative of all that now, like is he just resigned at this point to just being the the cheating clown because that's kind of what his role and lot in life is and it's pretty disappointing <laughs> yeah I, I feel like, like i feel like he kind of has i mean at this point like the, the house of torture has kind of been booked as really like low card openers um you know kind of relegated to like the never six man division or it's kind of ongoing feud of chaos and they're not really been pushed in any serious way and so for him, he's probably like, you know, why am I going to go out there and try and try to have all his good matches? Let me just go out here, do all these shenanigans and, and try to cheat and kidnap people and have, you know, Yudro popping out evil, pretending to be a ref. Let me do all this stuff and just, you know, go like take it all the way, you know, goofy heel. Yeah, I don't know. But regardless, um, you know, if you would have... Uh had me basically wagering a few years ago as to what, what, where everything was going to end up with Rapongi 3k show turning into good, into a uh, freaking um, Ujuro was not something that I saw coming. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think any of us uh, saw this coming at all. Um, so yeah. So like I said, lots of shenanigans here. We had Ujuro, we had evil pretending to be RF and yeah, Doki was not able to overcome. So Show ends a tournament uh, with eight points. So that's what four and five, and then uh, Doki ends with uh, three and six. So then the semi-main event here was uh, for a spot in the semifinals. So we had Speedball Mike Bailey defeating the Man of the Hour Leo Rush, sixteen minutes and forty-three seconds. So Speedball. Um, and I, the, hmm? I'd like to just say something here before we, we delve into this. Last week, Jeremy, I asked you, I said, in order for Teton to be alive going into the finals, who needs to win? And you told me Leo Rush needed to win. And I said, well, that's who's going to win. And when we made the, that incorrect that incorrect call, that's on you, homie. <laughs> Yeah, I, I got mixed up. I, I did listen back, and earlier in the show, I did say that Teton could go through with either guy winning. But then as I was rereading, I got mixed up, and I thought that I forgot that Leo Rush had a tiebreaker 
uh, Teton had a tiebreaker loss over Leo, and so he would have gotten through with either guy uh, winning. So yeah, that was my bad. Oh, really? I thought he need. I thought he could only get through if one of them won. Uh, no, because he would have had if Leo Rush won, and he would have had the tiebreaker over Hiromu, and I think I think he would have had a tiebreaker over Speedball also. That's too much for me. So yeah. to make it simple, <laughs> he could have gotten through with either guy winning. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. I think so. Well, then, well, then that, 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 <laughs> that changes things for me again as well. Yeah. Regardless, either, either way, Speedball won. And... Speedball won here. And um, I got to tell you, Jeremy, I, I don't know that this was, in fact, the best match of the tournament, although I think that there's a very strong case one could make that Mike Bailey versus Leo Rush might be one of, if not the defining like top matches of the entire tournament. But um, to me, this was the most definitive super juniorish. I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is, but like the most, um, uh, how do I describe it? There was no match in this tournament that felt more like what we in the past have thought of when we talk about best of super juniors than Speedball Mike Bailey and Leo Rush. It was a, a true callback, like throwback to what this tournament used to mean and what it used to represent and what we used to see out of this tournament. And these guys went out there and they did shit that no one else in this tournament could do. With any, like, I'm, it, it, literally, there's nobody that could do the stuff that Speedball and Leo Rush were doing with one another. It reminded me in a lot of ways of like the heyday of like AJ Styles and like Amazing Red and, and mm. like low key, that sort of stuff. Like, just uh, super high, fast paced, you know, maybe even very much laid out ahead of time, but it was so fucking cool that it didn't matter. Um, these guys are like, ultra athletes it was incredible yeah this was awesome this was yeah, like you mentioned your typical you know two high end high speed great high flyers showcasing uh their their skills here on this big stage and yeah so many just incredible moves and spots a lot of great uh sequences to these guys uh you know leo hitting a big spanish fly on the floor uh bailey was pulling out some stuff too like it's like springboard kind of flippy thing to the outside and these guys were hitting all their, their, you know, their top spots, some stuff they even held back from the tournament. And, yeah, I mean, these guys are both super fast. Bailey just killing, you know, with the kicks as well. Leo Rush showing off his, you know, super high speed and, you know, taking a lot of risks uh, to the outside. Uh, Leo did, you know, the, the trio suicide dives at one point. So uh, a lot of great stuff. And uh, Bailey, you know, missing the, the, the Ultima weapon, his double knees, which led to Leo doing the, the rush hour stunner for a near fall. Uh, but eventually it all came down to Speedball hitting the Flamingo driver uh, out of the corner to get the win here. Yeah, it, uh, awesome finishing seg- uh, segment, sequence of moves. And um, I haven't even really given the praise to that Flamingo driver, but that that move is so fucking awesome. Yeah, that is, is super dope. Yeah, uh, so uh, Mike Bailey gets through, and then that led us to the main event, uh, Teton versus Hiromu. Yeah, so with Bailey winning, he got the A1 spot in the semifinals, and then that allowed for the main event, if Teton won, he would have the tiebreaker over Leo Rush, get the A2, and then if Hiromu 
one, he uh, would get the 14 and beat have more points than Teton and Leo Rush and uh, take the A2 spots on Speedball, beat Hiromu on the first night of the tournament. But it happened here with Teton defeating Hiromu Takahashi here in the main event. 16 minutes and 43 seconds. Huge upset win here. Well, you know, one of the things I've complained about in either the this current format or even um, some of the other various formats for these bigger tournaments that New Japan uses is like, they feel that it's necessary to heavily push the champion that happens to be in a certain block. And that's understandable. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense for kayfabe reasons, but once they get into scenarios where they're in the finals, then it does start to kind of convolute things just a bit. And that was one of the things I was kind of lamenting last week was like, all right, well then he ends up in this tournament and then, there's all these scenarios that could hypothetically play out where we get multiple return matches and, and rematches. And it kind of puts a damper on the fun and excitement of, you know, the finals of these tournaments when you, when you have the champion in there. And I didn't think that they were going to have Teton beat him. In fact, like I'm surprised Teton made it as far as he did in this tournament, um, just period. But yeah, they had Teton go out there, beat him. And I was really pleased that they went that way because it took away any possibility that we'd be seeing these major rematches down the line when it pertained to Hiroma. Or even if we would, like, for instance, like let's say Teton goes all the way through and he wins the tournament. They only had the one match in a, in a major main event. So it's not that bad as opposed to like other scenarios where you're getting like potentially three matches in a row, which is not, the most compelling or exciting thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised and, uh, yeah, very happy with Teton getting the win here. I think, you know, I was so set on Hiromu's just going to win this thing because he's a champion and you can get him to the semifinals and he can lose that way and not have to and, and not get to the finals but still be, you know, considered a somewhat of a finalist by getting to the semifinals. But great piece of booking here uh, by New Japan having Teton Get the upset when tapping out Hiromu with the Yave Immortal. That's uh, Teton's version of the Muda Lock. And that was a big pop. The crowd gasped huge uh, with Teton getting this upset win. And they really built the drama of uh, Teton locking that hole in. And uh, Hiromu struggling and trying to get out. Uh, but towards the end, he just couldn't do it and having to tap out. Pulling the um, curtain back just a little bit. Typically, you can look at the uh, the various schedules of these tournaments and sort of make an educated guess based on um, past patterns and tendencies of Gato to sort of know what's going on. And so, like, when you see Teton, and he literally was either at the bottom or in the middle of most shows for a majority of the tournament, to me, that was a safe key indicator that he'd probably do well, but by the time he got to the finals against a guy like Hiromu, he would just be someone that was maybe in the mix or maybe playing spoiler and, so, and, and you know, kind of just out of it by the time we got to the finals. I never expected them to main event those two guys together, and I never expected him to beat Hiromu. <laughs> and, yeah, the fact that he hardly had any main events leading up to this point was a little bit of a, a sneaky bit of business from Gato and the way that he did things. And 
you know, kind of just turning things on its head. And that's sort of been one of the themes this year with the booking in new Japan is doing new things, trying new things. And, and it's been very, very exciting. And um, they did a great job with Teton really establishing that Yave immortal as a serious match ender, because every guy that he got into that move in this tournament, he fucking ended them. So <laughs> like, I believe in that move. I believe in his version of it. And like, he's better than Muda. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, but yeah, this was a, a great another great matchup here uh, on this evening. Great, a lot of great uh, back and forth uh, sequences here, and uh, yeah, both guys looking really good. And yeah, Teton getting a prize victory with the the Yave Immortal cutscene. I didn't hear what he said on um, when he was because uh, I don't speak Spanish, but I got one of the translations, and he said, "I'm not surprised, bitches." <laughs> <laughs> He said Mexico. That's what he did. <laughs> oh man. But yeah. Oh no, I did I did actually see where he was thanking um you know, thanking people for the win. And then um on commentary, because Naito was out there, because obviously both of these guys are L I J and he's like, he just thanked Naito for everything. And they're like, No, he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Naito wasn't providing false translations. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, Teton cut the closing show promo, and with that win, he got the A2 slotting uh, in the semifinals. Which brings us to the B Block finals, which happened the next day, Wednesday, May 24th. Same venue, Edion Arena, soccer number two, this time with an attendance of 819. Uh, show opened up, we had Speedball and Oscar Lube defeating Leo Rush and Yuto Nakashima. Then we have the House of Torture, Evil Show, and Yudro defeating Doki, Taichi, and Takamichi Noku of just five guys. Then we had uh, Hiromu and Teton defeating Kushida and Rusuke Deguchi. And then that brought us to the B block action. So first we had Bushi defeating Francesco Akira, 8 minutes and 44 seconds. I mean, I guess they needed to kind of bring Bushi's score up just a tad bit, so that's fine. But uh, I would have been fine if Francesco Akira just beaten him. Yeah, same here. But they were kind of telling a story that Akira was so beaten down from the Desperado match and how Despi had uh, worked over his knee. And so Bushi was working over uh, that injured leg here and uh, applied a leg lock and got um, Akira to tap out. So, yeah, they're on the on the commentary. They're pretty much like, uh, if this Bushi shows up and fights a fully you know healthy Francesco Akira, he does not walk out with that W. So you know he pretty much picked the bones like the vulture that he is. <laughs> yeah, and you know uh, last week we were you know a listener asked us about you know how does Bushi get all these masks, and we've been questioning ourselves. You know how does he get all these these new masks every night especially a tour like this you know he got he had like 12 you know 12 13 new masks whatever it was and uh we had a listener reach out to us uh brian ecclestone on twitter tweeted us and you know alerted us reminding us that uh bushi owns a fried chicken restaurant in japan so it's the fried chicken money that is uh affording all these masks i've heard that Behind that fried chicken money, there's other types of money going through that that chicken stand, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, man. It just makes more sense to me. Yeah, a, a Walter White situation. 
Yeah, typically. Yeah, exactly. Just like the Ozarks. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, so yeah. So Bushi uh, ends the tournament here with uh, four points. So going, uh, what's that? Two wins, two and seven, similar to uh, Kushida. And then Akira ends with eight points. So he ended it with a four and five record there. Yeah, bro. Twenty twenty three. Bushi and Kushida, same. <laughs> Uh, so then after that We had the Drilla Dan Maloney defeating 100 proof Clark Connors By count out 4 minutes and 25 seconds But this match was actually a lot longer If you included what happened in the pre-match Where uh, these guys just started Brawling throughout the entrance ramp And were brawling all over the arena and Throwing each other into the gym walls And then eventually they uh, got back into the ring and had a, a, a very hard-hitting, hostile junior matchup. The way you said that, you sound like 1980s Dave Meltzer, you know, reviewing, like, either Jim Crockett or, like, uh, <laughs> uh, Memphis. <laughs> he'd be given, like, he'd give, like, a uh, like for instance, like, Great American Batch, the, the match between, like, Flair and uh, Terry Funk. He's like, the match itself was great, four stars, but if you count the post-match, you might go higher than that. <laughs> he still does that sometimes. <laughs> I know. Oh man! But he, I he did, did think that for the uh, for the for the Tupelo um, concession stand brawl, the match is nothing, and he's like, it's near five stars because you can't not count the post match beatdown in the concession stand. And I'm like, yes, you can, Dave. That was not part of the contest. <laughs> But I mean, I, I thought this whole match was very good with the whole pre-match brawl leading into the actual match. These guys were very hard hitting. You have two guys with, you know, that the nastiest attitude in their, their heel character. And we've learned that Dan Maloney has a, a short fuse and these guys are just hitting each other really hard and having this kind of, you know, slugfest here, almost a, a never style uh, matchup. And um, Dan Maloney was able to... Uh, Get the win. They went back uh, to the outside, and uh, Maloney hit a big spear, and then he uh, jumped back in the ring, and uh, Clark was not able to beat the twenty count. So uh, Dan Maloney got the win here. Yeah, I, I, I dug everything between these two guys. This was a match where I didn't do my due diligence, but when we did the preview, I said that when they wrestle, it's going to be a hoss fight. Uh, what I didn't, you know, realize was that they were facing one another in the, you know, on the final night. I didn't expect it to be in a situation where they're both, you know, pretty much eliminated from the tournament. And I didn't expect it to be a four minute contest, but uh, taking into account everything that happened in the pre-match brawl and the, the brawling through the crowd. And then, um, you know, during the match, it was all pretty enjoyable. And um, I would like to see them have a more, you know, um, actual contest like a an actual match sometime down the road but uh you know these two guys are pretty combustible at this point with their different personas and characters so yeah i don't know how that would play out i also think it was kept short due to uh dan maloney's health uh, kevin kelly mentioned on commentary that he's actually been wrestling this tour for a separated shoulder you know his shoulder's been taped up pretty much majority of the tour um so wrestling with a separate separated shoulder so i'm sure i know that- how that is <laughs> uh, so I'm sure they kept the match short And did the whole angle because of that um, So yeah I would love a, a healthy Dan Maloney versus um, Clark Connors I think that would be a really fun matchup Yeah 
these guys, if, if they ever found a way to get on the same page, we're looking at a junior version of like, uh, you know, Hanson and Brody. <laughs> yeah. So uh, next, the, the last three matches would uh, determine who was going to go into the semifinals from the B block. So first we had Master Watto defeating Kevin Knight, 9 and 32 seconds. So this brought Watto up to 14 points and kind of clenched a semifinal spot for himself here. Yeah, come on, come on. We might not have got night one right, but we predicted night two to the T. And I told you, Kevin Knight, he didn't have what it took to put away the way to the Grandmaster, Master Watto. Okay, so Watto <laughs> picks up the win here, nine minutes, 32 seconds, and uh, we're off to the races, you know? Yeah, really a fun matchup here. Watto putting away Kevin Knight with that Mount Everest German suplex. I know it has a, a Japanese name that he calls it, but I, I didn't have that in my notes here. But it's a Mount. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's the Mount Everest, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's a Mount Everest style German suplex. It's been great. That's what it's kind of been his quote unquote super finisher in this tournament, putting everybody away with that. So he uh, pins Kevin Knight here in a, a really good matchup and. Gets uh, locked in here with 14 points. Kevin Knight ending his campaign uh, with six points. You know what that's like? Trying to change the the name of a move that you're using that came from somebody else. That's like when Booker T was like, it's not the rock bottom. It's the bookend. (laughs) It's like, dog, it's the rock bottom. You're doing the same move. No, his goes, you know, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And mine goes... (laughs) (laughs) Dun 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 dun. <laughs> oh man! But uh, after that, we had uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru from Just Five Guys pulls the upset win here and defeats Yo and thirteen minutes twenty two seconds, ending Yo with twelve points and uh, pretty much eliminating Yo's chances of getting into the semifinals. They are McDonald's. We're McDowell's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we called it Kanemaru. Uh, we said that he'd get Yo out of there. And why is that? Cause Everybody, boys and girls, <laughs> Yo is a ho. <laughs> we need to. You know what's funny is like I've been listening to Jcast. They got stuff like like uh, loaded up in their soundboard. We've had a soundboard for like literally like almost five years now. We've never used those sounds. We need to put some sounds in our soundboard and step our game up. We need to have one where it's like, yo, is a ho. Like, just, <laughs> you know, just hit it every now and again. Yeah. But um, but now I feel like we can't because they started using the gimmick. And I'm like, bro, we've had the capabilities for so many years. We're just right. not. We just never did it. Well, and for kind of peel the curtain back, anytime you guys hear, like, the actual, like, the intro of the Keeping a Strong Style song, that's me, like, hitting the button on the soundboard when we did the final countdown series which you can listen back in the archives where we reviewed all the finals we had a special final countdown theme made by our boy rich latta what's up rich i hit the button for that the music played so we've been using soundboard technology like josh mentioned for like five years now because you know we're yeah but i want one that like pops in where he's like where like it's just us being like he's vascular (laughs) (laughs) he's huge he's huge Well, you know, I, um, I could program that stuff in, but like you said, you know, people might might think we're trying to uh, copy Jcast. And this would be a great time for us to have 
Fale in the soundboard going, fuck them. <laughs> it make it, it make it easier. We don't even have to tell the jokes. They're just preloaded. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we called it last week, Yozaho, but more importantly, Kanemaru, he has uh, really had a game plan all throughout this tournament, and that's target the knee, work the leg, kill the leg, break the leg, and then <laughs> put him in the figure four and tap him out. And that's exactly what he did here. Uh, if Yo had been a bit smarter, more seasoned, and you know was paying attention, he would have studied what Kanemaru was during, d- doing during these matches instead of going and making whatever fucking art he makes in his off time when he it, should it, be studying his, the matches. Uh, his poop sculptures. Yeah, making his poop sculptures. He's back in the. He's you know he's back there doing whatever the fuck he does, and he's not studying. You know his competition. He he would if he listened to this podcast or if he had been paying attention, he would have known Kanemaru was coming for the leg, and he could have done a wacky roll up. But alas, it wasn't to be. And Kanemaru did everybody a favor, got him out of here, and 13 minutes 22 seconds, and Yo lost. Yeah, and, and actually Kanemaru won him for roll up uh, in this matchup. He he did target the leg all throughout the match, but. He reversed the direct drive at the end into into a roll up to uh, get a surprise win here. That's right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so <laughs> Yo was out at this point, which then brought us to the main event. So El Desperado defeats our good friend Robbie Eagles twenty minutes and thirty two seconds. Great main event here with Despy getting to fourteen points. So. He got locked in at the the B1 spot, and that got Watto into the B2 spot. But great effort here from Robbie. Uh, Robbie is still, for my money, the MVP night in and night out for the B block. I don't know if I could say he was the MVP overall for the whole tournament, but he's got a pretty compelling case regardless. But uh, Desperado and, and Rob Eagles, they're no strangers to one another. They've had some very good matches. In my book, I wouldn't call any of the matches they've had truly great, although there are probably people that are bigger fans of their series of matches than I am. To me, this was the definitive match of their series and was the highest peaking match they've ever had. I, I thought it, it excelled above all previous performances. It really hooked me. Uh, definitely a match befitting a block final. And uh, even though, it, I mean, tech, I guess technically it's not really a block final. I don't know. It, with this whole new format kind of changes the terminologies, but to finish out the B block uh, final night on night 10, this just fucking ruled. And these guys went out there and they tore the house down. And, you know, Despy was a guy who everyone knows how good he is. And he's had great, very good performances all throughout the tournament, but the, those last two couple nights with this match with Eagles and the match with uh, um, Francesco Akira, like he really came on strong down the, the tail end here. And uh, I, again, I would like to see Robbie Eagles place in one of these tournaments here someday. Uh, it wasn't to be this year, but uh, he, he really did a, a great job elevating Desperado, who's already great in his own right. And, yeah, they, they they had a just an awesome match. Yeah, great match up here. Both these guys working the legs. You know, Robbie looking for Rommel, special Desperate looking for that stretch muffler. So uh, great, you know, counters and sequences going back and forth with each other, working on the legs, some great high-risk stuff uh, from Robbie as well. But uh, came down towards the end where 
uh, Despy hit that um, faster driver t- uh, type maneuver and eventually was able to lock in the uh, numero dos, the stretch muffler, and Robbie had no choice but to tap out. So Despy wins, ends the tournament here with seven and two, 14 points, gets locked in to the number one C, the B1 spot, and pushing Watto to B2. So then that took us to night 11, the semifinal night, which happened on Friday, May 26th from Yoyogi National Gymnasium number two. We had an attendance here of 1,330. So show opened up. We had Kosei, Fujita, and Robbie Eagles defeating Clark Connors and Gato. And no, it was not Robbie pinning Clark. It was not Robbie pinning Gato. It was Young Lion, Kosei Fujita, pinning Gato. A rare Young Lion win here over an established main roster guy and the booker. (laughs) Yeah, um, this was highly unusual in a certain sense. I mean, it's not entirely unfounded, the idea that... uh, a young lion could beat someone that's lower on the totem pole like a ghetto. We've seen things like that occur, but they're exceedingly rare. So, um, and I don't know what that is entirely indicative of. I don't know if that means Fujita is getting ready to go off on an excursion, or it's very likely to me that they might be treating this quasi elevation with TMDK as a proto, um, you know, excursion, essentially. And we've seen them do some things like that in the past as well. So it, it's hard to know exactly what that's a key indicator of, but it definitely isn't meaningless by any means. Yeah, I, I popped huge. Definitely a big moment here for Gita using an O'Connor role. We know he's been training with Zack Sabre Jr., learning all the, you know, the wacky European clutches and holes and, and pinfalls and a lot of submissions. We've been seeing him use a Kimura throughout these uh, opening undercard matchups but yeah kind of a a big moment here for him and like you're saying this whole run with him being a part of tmdk could be his quote unquote excursion you know he's learning from zach and nichols and haste and and robbie and maybe at the end of this run or whatever this turns out to be he becomes a full roster member and is a you know continues to be a part tmdk or maybe he does something different but um, it's definitely a big sign here, and I think you know this makes his undercard matches even more interesting because if he's beating a guy like Gato, he could potentially beat some other lower card guys. He could potentially beat a Bushi, a Doki, like there that opens the door for him to get potentially more wins. That was my my knee jerk reaction as well, and I'm glad you said that. I don't know that it's uh, totally indicating the, the immediate plans for him. But it, like you said, Jeremy, it opens the door for the possibility. And even if that possibility is still highly unlikely, the precedent is there. So like when he ends up in, in a final situation where he's the one guy isolated in, in the ring and he's on the other side of like, I don't know, Chase Owens, it's like, well, he did beat Gato. So you can't count him out. You never know. He might have a trick up his sleeves. He's been learning some new techniques. And then ultimately he still loses. But because it's happened before, you can't discount the idea that maybe it does happen again. And 
it probably is a quasi elevation over the other young lions as it stands right now. Even the guys that he started with, like Nakashima and Oiwa, because I don't see them beating Gato. <laughs> right. And we did have a question here from a Reddit user OKOK890 saying, Do you think Vegeta getting a win over Gato is just a reward for his great undercard work this year? Or could it be Vegeta leveling up and possibly getting ready for a possible excursion or graduation? And I think we've already answered that, but those are that's a great question. And, um, you know, I think he's right in the same vein of thought that we are. Uh, MJ does PR. Uh, what's up, uh, MJ? He also asked, Ichiban Sweet Boy beat Gato? Exclamation point, question mark. Is he even a young lion anymore? And I think that that is the next step. That's for us to kind of see is... Is this like we're speculating just some sort of quasi elevation or is it an indication of bigger things to come? And, and that remains to be seen. Yeah. So and this makes it exciting. Like all this matches, you're kind of going to be more curious to see what the outcome is going to be. And definitely some investment here on, on the future of Vegeta and how this whole TMDK storyline will play out. Even beyond all that, it, it goes back to what we've been saying since the beginning of this year that uh, there are all of these demands and, you know, sort of declarations that they're going to move in a new manner and do new things. And we've been seeing that play out in so many different ways. And we could list them, but, you know, they're they're all pretty evident. And this is just more evidence that something fresh and new is happening in New Japan. It's very exciting. Yeah. Then following that, we had Aaron Hanare and Great Okan from the United Empire defeating Tomioka Hanuma and Toro Yano, 4 minutes and 58 seconds. We know with uh, Mark Davis being injured and Aussie Open vacating the titles, um, the, the tag match turned into a, a straight-up two-on-two, but Okan mentioned on Twitter, you know, why isn't there a you know United Empire uh, representation in the match? Because uh, it should still be a three-way, and so... Uh, we see Hanare and Okan picking up a win here and kind of pushing their claim and their bid to be in the title match at Dominion. Yeah, it's my experience that when people are involved in a three-way and one of the partners bows out, they'll just replace you with somebody else, you know? Right, I mean, we we normally see that happen in uh, in the wrestling world, but... Uh, and in the other... And in, and in real life, too. <laughs> uh, so yeah. The highlight of this match to me, though, was when Tomaki Hanma got Aaron Hinari and Great Okan on the ground, and then he hit them both with the Kokeshi, and he, like, he looked up, he's like, hell yeah. <laughs> he's like, I did it. Uh, so, yeah, fun, fun short match here. Uh, then we had uh, Dan Maloney, Francesco Akira, and TJP of United Empire defeating the Intergalactic Jet Setters, Kevin Knight Kushida, and Risuke Taguchi, 8 minutes and 38 seconds, so... With this win, we saw um, Akira and TJP challenge Kevin Knight and Kushida for Dominion. And, uh, yeah, and pretty much they they got kind of got punked out here post match. Like Dan Maloney like ripped the belts from them and gave them to uh, Akira and TJP and was like all up in Kushida and Kevin Knight's face. <laughs> um, yeah, sometimes the dynamics and groups when they in- involve a new junior and then there's like three of them and it, that's they can get a get a little bit like muddled and kind of weird uh we've seen that time and time again in different groups and so i was a little bit like why is dan maloney so 
you know, aggressive right now going after Kevin Knight and Kuchita's belts. Like he's not even involved in the feud or, you know, he has no chance of winning <laughs> these titles, but uh, yeah, he was pretty aggressive there, but uh, Francesco Akira and TJP are getting, you know, uh, their, their rematch apparently. And it kind of makes you wonder why they even put the belts on Kevin Knight and Kushida in the first place. Cause it's kind of feeling after everything that happened in, uh, uh, the super juniors, they have so they're they're working from an uphill battle at this point, and I almost kind of favor in a kayfabe standpoint Francesco Akira and TJP in the rematch. It remains to be seen, but it's sort of like, damn, are Kevin Knight and Kushida just going to drop these in their first match back? It kind of feels like that we're heading there. Yeah, it kind of does, and yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we go over uh, the Dominion card. Uh, so then after this, we had the chaos team of. Bishamon, Leo Rush, and Yo defeating all of the House of Torture eight minutes and forty-five seconds. So this was uh, in part to set up the the tag title match coming up at Dominion. Uh, House of Torture jumped at the bell, tried their shenanigans, but uh, Bishamon was able to hit the Shoto on Dick Togo and get the win here. Then uh, after that, we had Kazuchika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii and. Hiroshi Tanahashi, the never open weight six man champions. They defeated Oleg Bolton, Oscar Lube, and Shota Umino, nine minutes and 26 seconds. So, setting up here the uh, the never six man title match that would be coming up at Dominion. And we just kind of know we've seen this personal rivalry between Umino and Okada growing on, on each tour here. Yeah, once, once this match popped up and I was watching it, I was like, gee. Wonder who's going to win here. <laughs> the two two of the most legendary IWGB champions of all time, teaming with an all-time great and pr- arguably the greatest never champion of all time versus two young lions and a guy that just came back from excursion. Gee, wonder how that's going to play out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I am really digging everything that's going on with Okada and him kind of facing off with uh, this youth generation. And, uh, you know, he's just being so grumpy and just really giving it to these guys. And, and he's not putting up with their shit. And he's just kicking the crap out of them. And it's awesome. And, yeah, uh, the work he did against Shoto Mino in the crowd during this match on the outside was uh, beautiful. Yeah, definitely been uh, loving this rivalry. Uh, then after that, we had Doki, Sonata, Taichi, and Kanamaru of just five guys defeating Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito. So um, kind of surprising here that we're not seeing Yota Suji on in any of these preview matches. And I guess that's partly because he hasn't really officially declared where he's aligning. So they didn't really want to team up with LIJ yet. Um, so... No preview matches here for Sonata, having to go into Dominion blind here and not knowing what the new Yoto Sushi is all about. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I guess it works because it does seem to be that he is aligned with LIJ. Uh, that seems to be apparent. It's not official, but, you know, in the past, they would have just brought him back and had him do preview matches. And then we'd be sitting here complaining about why the fuck is he working, you know, <laughs> Why Why is he working eight mans and ten mans before we even see him in the big match? And to, much to their credit, they've decided to just go ahead and hold off on that. And the first time we're going to see Yota Suji, for better or for worse, and there are a lot of people in the camp where they're like, they should have built him up. 
And I get that argument, but that's not what they're doing. They're just going full board, putting him in there for the title, first match back, which is very mysterious and also very exciting. And yeah, that's what we're getting. Yeah, looking forward to it. And then that brings us to the semifinal Super Junior matches of the night. First, we had the A1 versus B2 matchup. And first upset of the night, way to the Grandmaster. Master Watto defeating everybody's favorite here, Speedball Mike Bailey, 16 minutes and 43 seconds. And, you know, the, the Watto Mania run you know, fully in full kickstart here, getting the, the big win over the, the number one seed from the A block. We might have gotten quite a few things wrong when it came to last week's preview show <laughs> and, uh, you know, trying to uh, give our predictions for how everything was going to play out. But the one thing I did say is that as long as Watto is in this tournament and he's not facing off against Desperado, he's going to win the tournament. And he's going to beat anyone that's in front of him. And that's exactly what happened here in this match. And um, I definitely think from a kayfabe perspective, you could call it an upset because Mike Bailey was so dominant in his block and, you know, has been so dominant all throughout the year, just internationally. But um, I think if you're paying attention, you kind of know that they've, they've sort of been building Watto for a while here. And this is one of those sticking points where you can tell who is and isn't paying attention closely to New Japan. Like, there's a lot of um, personalities and match reviewers and stuff like that that I really respect and enjoy that know their shit that sort of didn't expect Watso to be in this position. And then when he was, they were like, well, he's definitely not going past XYZ. And they were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that if you listen to like some of the more um, New Japan centric groups, they kind of told you outright like Watto had a very good chance at making it this far. And it's not surprising to me in any respect whatsoever that, that he won the match here. Uh, these two guys, I, I think that they had definitely a very stiff, hard hitting per Rezu style match, like the quintessential like junior Pro match where it was just chocked full of elbow strikes and kicks and and you know tit for tat these guys just going back and forth back and forth there you know obviously there was some high flying but this was more in line with some of your more classic like all Japan or Noah style matches than maybe some of the other stuff we saw in this tournament. Yeah, I mean you're seeing uh, the, the toe prints of Bailey's kick on Watto's chest and back. So That's that- right. These guys were laying the kicks in. Um, yeah, great striking. A lot of great high flying. The closing stretch really great here. Uh, Bailey hits the the ultimate weapon, the, the the double knees, flipping double knees from the top. But Watto kicks out, so crowd went nuts for that kick out. Um, it was then, awesome. Yeah, big pop there, and I popped too because I'm watching this unspoiled. And I'm like, oh wow, that's when one of Bailey's finishers. He kicks out of that. Um, and then he goes for the Flamingo driver, but Watto escapes, hits the TTD, the Tenson Tombstone driver for a near fall. And then Bailey starts hitting kicks. He goes for the Tornado kick, which is usually the setup for the, the ultimate again. But he, Watto blocks that, hits the Mount Everest German suplex, gets that bridge. One, two, three. Watto Mania is running while Master Watto, the number two seed, 
in the B block beats the number one seed from the A block and advances to the finals. Yeah, and this was um, I, the only thing I would complain about that match a little bit was when he hit that Mount Everest, it sort of came a little bit out of nowhere, but it did fit the motif and story and flow of what they were doing. So I guess I can't complain too much. Plus, they really did establish in this tournament that if Watto hits that, it's over for you. So that's what happened here. Like he caught Mike Bailey lacking and, you know, he executed, which you can't fault him for that. So a uh, very, very good match here. But um, I did think that they were kind of moving more towards like the big finisher, like almost like a Undertaker, Shawn Michaels style match where, you know, they're trading the big finishes and they're kicking out and they're like looking to the crowd. And that's sort of what was happening there a little bit, but yeah, no, Watto, he, uh, you know, he's like bump all that. He got him with the Mount Everest. Yeah. So a great win here for Watto. Big surprise shock win here and goes into the finals. And then the main event, we got another upset shock win here as Teton defeats El Desperado 21 minutes and 44 seconds. And uh, we had Teton. He was accompanied. All of LIJ was out there. Wearing um, Teton Ellie Mortal Lij shirts and in his corner, which is kind of rare. You never really see Lij seconding each other. We saw that here in, in this main event, and once I saw that, I was like, "Dude, I, I think Teton's winning here." <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was something where I was like, "These guys never do this shit for each other," but you know, it's sort of like they they do it for Teton, but whatever. That's cool. Um, Desperado, if you guys haven't caught it, he did a really incredible um, promo the night before, kind of uh, detailing his history with Teton and CMLL and stuff like that. Uh, very, very, very emotional pre-match promo that he cut the night prior. And uh, they, conversely, the way that, you know, Watto and Mike Bailey kind of had a very hard-hitting uh, pro-resu-style match, this was, I wouldn't call it quite pure lucha, but it was much more lucha influenced and and had a lot of those different elements, whether that be like the big brawling style that you see in the mask matches or, you know, the mat style of like Yave, like championship style, like babyface clean matches and then the high flying. They kind of mixed a little bit of all those different elements up in this match, which was highly enjoyable. And uh, like you said, Jeremy, I thought that this was truly shocking. Like, the idea that Teton... I mean, it made sense to me that Teton could beat Hiromu, but the fact that he beat Hiromu and then Desperado on subsequent nights was... uh, Yeah, I I didn't see that coming whatsoever. Like, totally shocking. Yeah, this is wild. I mean, Teton's the guy we've mentioned in the past. is usually booked, you know, 50-50. He's ending the tournament maybe 4-5, and maybe 3-6. and Not pushed... So, you know, fun matches, but not push super hard. But, you know, with the LIJ alignment, I think that's helped a lot. And plus, he's gotten a lot better, you know, every year after year he gets better. And so, yeah, really kind of surprising thing here, especially just the way Luchadors are kind of booked in general in these tournaments. I mean, this was the first time since 1998 that a Luchador made it to the finals of the tournament, which was uh, Dr. Wagner Jr., where he faced off against Koji Kanemoto in a great final match, which we reviewed on the, the final countdown series, which you can go back into the archives of, of our feed and listen to that review of that matchup. But it's, yeah, since 98, since we had a, a strong luchador make it into the finals. Yeah, and I think if, 
uh, I, I'm just kind of pulling this off the top of my head. I think the only other uh, example you could even point to is maybe Eddie Guerrero under the mask as Black Tiger, too. Uh, you know, that's the only other example I can think of of a luchador. And make no mistake about it. Like, yeah, Eddie was a luchador, but he was also like Mexican-American. So some people have different kind of views and feelings on that whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But so, uh, uh, this, I mean, if even if you did consider that 100% authentic, you're talking about in the 30 years of this tournament, this is the third time ever that a Mexican wrestler has made it to the finals. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. And Teton was a madman in this match. Um, you know, towards the beginning, they're brawling on the outside. He goes to the second floor, and they're, they're in the uh, so yeah, we're in uh, Yogi here, and they, they go to the second floor. and he goes up to the the um, like the top uh, section of the building and does this huge cross body um, to Desperado on the outside, and that was nuts. And then he later on in the match he goes for a double stomp to the outside. Despy moves, and I don't know how he didn't like break his leg or destroy his ankles doing that spot. Yeah, I think there's a strong case, and uh, a lot of the what made this match incredible was the, the death defying stuff that, uh, uh, I was going to say Dr. Wagner, that, uh, <laughs> Teton did in this match for sure. But if you look at the overall tournament, I don't know if there's a stronger stretch of single match performances than what Desperado had in these last three matches between this, the Eagles match, and then the Francesco Akira match. Like he might've had the most, high peaking like string of matches over that course of time. Like that was pretty incredible, but um, yeah, all throughout the match, as good as it was, as much as Teton was high flying, I just thought that we were getting ready to see numero dos uh, at some point get uh, applied and, and get the tap. And yeah, it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought for sure, especially when he missed that double stomp to the outside. I'm like, Oh, his, his feet are cooked. Despy's going to tap this man out, and we got several near submissions of the the numero dos, but Teton getting to the ropes, escaping, and having these kind of hope spots, and coming back, and then uh, towards the end here, Teton, he hits a Canadian Destroyer, hits a Tornado DDT, hits the the top rope, double stomp, um, got a near fall there, and then he got uh, Despy into the Yave Immortal, Cranks on the head and Desperado taps out and Teton makes it to the finals and he would face uh, Master Watto in the finals. So we had both number two seeds beating number one seeds from the opposite block to get into the finals here. And once Teton won, I knew for sure that Master Watto would be <laughs> winning best of the Super Junior 30. I'm not going to lie. Um there's a lot that we got wrong leading up to this tournament. But the one thing is once I saw that it was a hundred percent for sure, uh, Teton versus Watto, there was no doubt in my mind that we were seeing Watto win the tournament. Um, yeah, it became very, very, very apparent for me, but, um, I thought that this was a very fresh final, especially after coming off of three years back to back to back with, uh, Hiromu in the main event and so there's you know he's nowhere in sight in terms of like eligibility that was very fun and refreshing 
And um, there was something that I heard Kevin Kelly talk about in terms of that pairing where he was like, in, I think he was talking to Chris Charlton. He's like, in the history of this tournament, has there ever been a more, um, and I, I don't even think he was saying this disrespectfully, but, you know, unexpected final, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I didn't do the research, but in most cases, when you look at the tournament, there's usually at least one favored guy in there versus maybe one person you don't expect. I can't think of too many times ever where it's like, I didn't see either of these guys making it to the finals. And while a lot of people did want and expect Watto to come in, most of your mainstream pundits were thinking it was going to be like Mike Bailey versus Desperado, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was a match that everybody wanted. I've seen a lot of people, uh, you know, kind of complaining that we didn't get the matchup, and I think that's what most people were, were betting on here. Um, but well, like, you, you know, the nice thing is when you are dropping your girlfriend's car off at the shop, and then you're running across a major highway, and you drop your phone, and it gets ran over, <laughs> <laughs> and then you lose access to to Twitter, and then you just decide not to set it back up. You you miss out on all that. You miss out on that drama. And it's kind of nice because I was able to just enjoy this for what it was. And I didn't even have to, you know, um, read into those complaints from all those jabrones, you know? <laughs> yeah, I went to this match unspoiled, too, which just made it so much better. And just, you know, taking in that the whole surprise win and Teton tapping Despy out. And, you know, it's a new, fresh decision, you know. We uh, complain a lot about Gato's booking structure a lot of times in these tournaments, you know, last three years, Hiromu's won the tournament, and we know Gato has gotten to a pattern sometimes where he loves to do kind of these repeat winners or repeat finalists and kind of tell a story of kind of creating a like a legacy uh, for a certain wrestler. And we didn't get that here. We got a whole new, fresh directive. Nobody expected... Um, Watto and Teton. Everybody thought, you know, the the money match was going to be Bailey Desperado. Despy would get his big win, and we would go back to Despy Hiromu. But we're getting a new, fresh direction here. We're building up a domestic Japanese junior who went through the dojo system, uh, really investing and creating a new star there. You know, we've been saying on this podcast for a long time now, like the junior division has really just been Hiromu and friends and. You can't do that if you want the division to grow. Like, he was essentially the only headliner. And, yes, you could argue Desperado, but we know that, you know, Hiromu, dojo guy, he's the ace. He's the guy that the division centered around, and that only would change if he got hurt. But once he got back in from injury, you know, the story of the division was always circled around him. And so now New Japan investing in another dojo graduate, and, and Master Watto and building him up and then also investing in Teton in, in a different foreigner. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of like the Western foreigners, usually the ones kind of getting the push in your dream division and making the big splash here. But um, not since, you know, Dragon Lee have we had a, a luchador that's really got, got pushed more toward the top. So really giving Teton that chance in that platform and elevating Teton to a status similar to where, Dragon Lee was before he left a guy who could compete against the champions can compete uh, in big spots here. So this was, I think a uh, brilliant booking and a great way to establish two new players. 
All right, so let's uh, move on now to the finals night, the, the grand final of the tournament here, night 12 of the tour. This happened uh, at Ota City General Gymnasium on a Sunday, May 28th. Had a nice attendance of 3,312. So nice little house here. Uh, show opened up. We had Oleg Bolton and Togi Makabe defeating Oscar Lube and Yuto Nakashima. Six minutes and 37 seconds. I had a question here from Ambeda's PR. It says Nakashima and Oscar have been working on their double teams a lot this tour and have been calling themselves Young Bloods. Who the hell is running this dojo, and what's with all the freedom? <laughs> what does he mean exactly? <laughs> uh, I guess with these guys, you know, they're kind of going outside of the the young lion move set, and you know, they're doing a little bit more double team stuff. They're they're giving each other like uh, essentially a little tag team name here. Seems like they're having a little bit more flexibility than we've seen in the past. Maybe, maybe not. I mean. Um they've been in the dojo for quite a while now. I mean, I know Oscar Lube hasn't, but he, you also have to keep in mind, he's a transplant from like the WXW system. He's not like a new, fresh, untrained wrestler. He's more closely aligned with like how Gabe Kidd was when he came into the company. Like guys got experience. He's already worked for quite a while. So he's closer to like that David Finley, Juice Robinson, uh, Jay White, uh, lineage of of lions than he is like Oiwa, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that 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 that's too crazy. I mean, it could be a lot worse. Some of the things that they were alluding to last year with uh, the talk and Bushi Road made it sound a lot scarier. Some of the perspective changes they might have made in this dojo. So, uh, you know, even if they are uh, modernizing a bit, I mean, that's to be expected. You got to change with the times, right? Yeah, it uh, seems to yeah, be all part of this uh, youth movement, this youth push. So, yeah, I mean, I'm digging it. Yeah, I thought Oscar and Uto were, were a nice little team here. Um, when, when they have them winning titles and putting them in, like, pink spandex, you know, that's where I'm going to be like, uh, you know, what are we doing here? <laughs> and giving them gimmicks and, and shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, after that, we had Clark Connors defeating Roy Oiwa, 5 minutes, 18 seconds. Question here from... Okay, okay, 890. Were you guys surprised at how many losses Clark took? I thought he would have been alive until the final night at least. Um, not really, but also, um, you know, it's not like I was predicting this either way. It, this was a bit, there's like we've said, there's so many changes. There's a lot of things that were very unpredictable about this tournament. Look at the finals. Um, so it was hard to tell how Clark Connors coming into the bull club with a new gimmick was going to fare. And I totally understand why a lot of people would have thought that he would go further and do better than he actually wound up doing at the same time. They made every, uh, you know, adjustment and provision to try and protect him in every loss that he had throughout the tournament. So, you know, it's pretty clear they didn't, bury him whatsoever in this tournament they did everything they could to protect him yeah honestly i think he is kind of where i was expecting him uh with this new bull club push like i was not expecting him to be a semi-finalist or be toward the top of the block i mean look at where he was last year i mean it's definitely an improvement 
where, you know, being, you know, the wild rhino and being, you know, linked with Taguchi, uh, I think he has been elevated. And I'm pretty sure his point total was increased from last year. And they did um, a much better job of trying to protect him. Even when he did loss, um, it was kind of like questionable in the matches he did lose. So far, like the only two juniors to do exceedingly well in Super Juniors from the Bullet Club are basically Prince Devitt and Taiji Shibori. Yeah, the traditionally, yeah, those there's not a ton of Bullet Club guys unless they're quote unquote kind of main eventer guys. Kenny Omega didn't do so hot. Um, you know, you didn't. I actually I don't even know if Kenny was in the Bullet Club when he was in Super Juniors. Act uh, to be fair, but. The Young Bucks didn't necessarily do great when they're in this tournament. Um, El Phantasmo, you know, always seemed to be kind of out. Robbie Eagles, list goes on and on. Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, uh, Clark did pretty good for himself this year, and I think he, he'll continue to kind of uh, get a good push going forward. Uh, so after that, we had Leo Rush and Yo defeating. Kosei Fujita and Robbie Eagles, 9 minutes and 12 seconds, uh, potentially uh, keeping Leo and Yo kind of uh, heated up and fresh for maybe a future junior tag team title shot down the line. I was expecting Fujita to arm bar Leo Rush and beat him. That would have been great. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. <laughs> Uh, then after that, we had United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Dan Maloney, Francesco Akira, Great Okan, and TJP, and they defeated Tenzon, Kujima, Kevin Knight, Kushida, and Yuji Nagata, 12 minutes and 50 seconds, so return of the uh, New Japan dads, it's been a while since we've seen them on a car, Tenzon, Kujima, uh, Nagata here. And got a, let's 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 rephrase that return of the all japan triple crown world champion yuji nagata that's right and uh, he was stunting the belt off and you know facing off with the champion of the british great okan um so yeah always great seeing nagata kojima and tenzon uh back in action here and but essentially this was a match to really kind of get over united empire Catch 2-2 looking really strong in their uh, quest to get a rematch against the Jet Setters. And then uh, Okan and Hanare also looking strong as they make their claim to get into the tag title match. And so uh, after this match, they would uh, take a little seat by ringside. You know, I felt like it was the uh, WWE 2K cutscene where the wrestler has a ticket and is sitting in the crowd. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, you had uh, Okan and Hanare And they would uh, keep their eyes peeled on the next match Which was Hiroki Goto, Toriyano, and Yoshihashi Taking on Evil, Show and Yujiro Takahashi uh, This match ended in a no contest As a House of Torture were failing to uh, get the, the one up on Chaos So Evil went outside He threw Okan and Hanare into the ring uh, and this led to uh, so a wild melee in the ring. Uh, the ref had no choice but to throw the match out. No contest. Um, and these guys are, you know, they're a brawl. All three teams are brawling. Ref's calling for the bell. And uh, Okan, you know, he got on the mic. And he was talking to Yoshihashi. He said, you know, there's no champions right now. So I want to ask you guys, like, you know, we're challenging. Can we get into the match? And Yoshihashi says yes. And then they, uh, Evil and uh, Ujiro Command hit the low blows. So these those guys. 
laying. So as we know now, it's official. Great Ocon and Aaron Hanare are now in the match. And so we got a three-way match once again for both tag team titles. In the previous match, I was just thinking to myself, like, if I'm Great Ocon and I'm looking across the ring and, and Eugene Nagata's got the All Japan Triple Crown, I'm just thinking to myself, like, the fuck is going on in All Japan? Like, <laughs> I beat this man at, at Blue Justice last year. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> as far as the uh, this tag match, though, I got to tell you, like, House of Torture, I know, I know, I know nobody likes them, but it's it's getting worse lately for me. Like, I'm even more tuned out on them than even before, where I'm like, I just don't give a fuck about anything they're involved in at all. Like, I, I'm basically writing their matches and segments off entirely. But uh, <laughs> that's pretty much all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's move on. We had uh, El Desperado and Renderita teaming up with Speedball Mike Bailey and Shota Umino. And they defeated the team of Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Risuke Taguchi. 12 minutes and 47 seconds here. So see continue to build up this Umino uh, rivalry against the uh, never-open-weight six-man champs. And again, the stuff with Okada and Umino, uh, really great here. Um, but this time, Shooter was the one who uh, ended up on top. Uh, he threw a table at Okada on the outside uh, towards the match. So we're really seeing the intensity pick up here with Shooter. I know what I was going to say about the last match. I really hope, and I'll have to look more into it, but I hope that the IWGB committee withholds any sort of payment to those gentlemen. Because when you're in a no contest, that means you didn't compete, which means you don't get a winner's or a loser's purse. You should not get paid for going out there that evening. <laughs> well, hopefully uh, IWGB committees are uh, doing their job. And I would strongly, you know, advocate that they withdraw both Bishamon as well as House of Torture from even getting, you know, challenge opportunities for the IWGP heavyweight uh, tag team title because you can't have your tag team champions behaving in this manner on your carts, just not becoming a champion. So, well, well, the problem is we've got the strong committee in the mix here, too. So, I, I don't know how the strong committee gets down, what their regulations are. Um, I don't even know if they exist anymore. We'll see, though. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, I'm, I'm again. I'm still really digging Umino and Okada, and yeah, Okada got uh, a strong style table right to the face, which was nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then that was happening on the outside in the ring. Narita got the uh, octopus t- uh, stretch onto Taguchi, tapped him out. Um, then p- uh, post match, Shota gets the mic and says that he has his team for Dominion. It'll be Shooter. John Moxley and the Ring of Honor World Champion Claudio Castagnoli joining them to face off against Tanahashi, Okada, and Ishii at Dominion for the Never Six Man titles. Um, like me and most of the rest of the fans, very excited. Claudio is coming into New Japan, but Josh, I don't, I don't think you're uh, too excited about this. Well, one thing I will say is I was uh, running behind watching the show because I was getting ready to host the AEW pay-per-view. So I was doing the the fast-forward method. So I think I must have accidentally fast-forwarded over this announcement. Like, I was not aware that this was happening. And then the guys were over and someone mentions, like, Claudio's in, in the six-man. I was like, he is? 
And like you said, you watched the show, and I was like, I did, <laughs> <laughs> but I fast forwarded over, so I missed the announcement. Um, no, you know, it's fine. It's just uh, I don't know, bro. I don't want to get into AEW talk, but like. Claudio's a fucking mid-carder, bro. <laughs> okay? And there's no getting around it. This was a guy that, like, when... Uh, uh, let me just put it to you this way, Jeremy. I didn't expect him to be this inconsequential it, it, to the world of wrestling when he showed up at Forbidden Door last year. And I loved the, the story that they were telling between him and um, Eddie Kingston when they had the, the, the War Games match last year, but... I know he's had a lot of quote unquote good matches to defend his title or whatever, but like Ring of Honor's a dead company. It's a zombie promotion. It's a zombie belt. It doesn't mean shit. He hasn't done anything of actual value or note in AEW. I think he's another guy, and this is not me not liking Claudio. I've I think going back to the genesis of this show, I've always said that Claudio was one of my dream people to show up in, in New Japan. But I don't want him to show up as Claudio, the mid-carter from AEW, the guy that does that can't get into the main event that is misused and mishandled, just like Brian Danielson and just like 20 other people in that company. I want him to come here as the badass who fucks people up and like actually means something. And nothing about that relationship over the past, what, how long have they been aligned? Two years? Yeah. Nothing about the past two years has told me that there's anything positive for me to hope for when it comes to AEW people being utilized in New Japan. I'm, like, totally out on it. I don't give a fuck about it whatsoever. When you've got a champion in Kenny Omega who's got the belt and can't come back to the to the country to defend the title for six months, why the fuck would I care about Claudio and Mox showing up? I mean, I'm sure this will be a cool match, but, like, it's getting people's hopes up about G1 births and like, I don't want to see them use, I don't want to see AEW guys coming over and being in the G1 and being used the way that like Lance Archer was or like Utah Wheeler in last year's Super Juniors. It's just, a, it's a cock tease. It's bullshit. Yeah, I think people are kind of jumping ahead with, you know, G1 plans, you know, uh, I mean, Claudio is a big part of the Blackpool Combat Club and there's a big rivalry going on with them in the Elite right now and I just don't know if TK would be willing to give up Claudio for a month. Uh, maybe I guess you, you could do that, but I mean, like you mentioned, you know, anytime we've done like a social suplex draft and, and we're drafting, I mean, Claudio's always been one of the guys we try to draft and, and put him in a, in a fancy match against a New Japan guy. So from that perspective, you know, seeing him in the ring with Okada, Tanahashi, and Ishii on the other side, I think is it, really cool and awesome, just kind of a fresh. Never six man matchup, and I, I get your your gripes and the fact of like, all right, what does this mean going forward for for Claudio? Like, is he going to do more? Is he going to be in the G one, and how's he actually going to be utilized going forward? I know that the preference would probably be to have him be a, a full time New Japan guy, or it's not even that. I think it's going to be fine that they use him for for this match. It, obviously, Dominion's a big card. I think it's okay to bring guys like that in for for single shots, you know, in cool, fun, inventive ways. My problem is I'm not happy with the way he's used in his home promotion, period. That's my biggest issue. 
And then my other issue is like, if he were to come work like a G1, it would be bullshit. Um, unless, unless like I'm completely out in the woods, maybe with how weird New Japan's been this year, they give him a Teton run and we don't see it coming. That would be cool as fuck, but I don't, I just don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I, it's obviously it's hard to say how they would end up booking him in the G1, but at the end of the day, it's Claudio Casagnoli. He's a great professional wrestler. He's going to come and have great professional wrestling matches with whatever block he's in. I mean, sign me up for Claudio versus Ishii one-on-one, Claudio versus Okada one-on-one, Claudio versus Will Ospreay. Like, we're, that would be like, we'd get like eight dream matches, eight, nine dream matches out of him potentially in one block. And I, I get that he potentially probably wouldn't realistically win the G1 or might not win his block, but just the fact of having well, him. With the political bullshit that we saw last year with the way that they booked Lance Archer, I just don't have my hopes for that. If they let him come in and they use him like they did Mox, his first G1, I'll have no qualms whatsoever, you know? Yeah. Well, we'll see. We know that um, at Dominion, the G1 33 uh, participants will be announced, so we'll talk about that. I think that his, uh, his home promotion should start using him a lot better, though. I mean... There's another timeline where, like, him versus MJF for the world title could be a really good TV main event, but shit like that's not ever going to happen. Yeah, well, we'll see. Well, I guess we'll we'll talk about AEW on, on a different show, a different time, but well, not here. Fuck them. <laughs> uh, so for now, yeah, Claudio. After that bullshit pay per view, oh my god, it was so bad. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Claudio Mox Shooter against uh, Tanahashi Ishii and Okada at Dominion. So then uh, following that, we had Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, and Tetsuya Naito defeating Doki, Sonata, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Again, another LIJ5 guys matchup here with no Yota Suji involvement. Yeah, pretty much what I said. Uh, rinse, copy, and repeat. Yeah. So then that took us to the, the main event, the best of the Super Junior 30 final match. And he did it. Master Wato defeats Teton. 24 minutes and 48 seconds. Master Wato is our best of the Super Junior 30 champion. Well, you know, it's been a long time coming where people have, ever since this guy returned to this company, people have been wondering when were they going to pull the trigger on him? When were they going to do something of meaning when it came to Watto? And um, I know that not everybody believes in him just yet. There's still a lot of people that can't get over whatever it may be, whether it's the charisma, whether it be his actual look, whether it be being confused about what way to the grandmaster even means in general, (laughs) or whether it be the botches, which pretty much are, almost a non-entity at this point, but those seem to be the four big proponents, uh, you know, the things that people have issues with. But for the diehards that have been paying attention, this man has made vast improvements in every facet of his game, whether that be upping his um, uh, confidence level or, you know, changing his his uh, psychology of his matches and, and learning to work different styles within the context of the company, 
Like, I just think that Watto has vastly improved. Like, now, am I sitting? Can I sit here and say he is the best junior in New Japan Pro Wrestling today? Like, no. But the real turn with this guy, it all stems back from that strange bedfellows tag match that they had leading up to uh, Wrestle Kingdom last year, where him and Despy were, you know, at odds, and Ishimori and and Hiromu. And ever since then, there's been this push and quest for Watto to kind of rise up the ranks and sort of make himself a main player. And this has been the culmination of that story. I think it's been very satisfying the way it's played out. And um, aside from one headlock takeover in the early portions of this match where this guy got dumped. Actually, I wouldn't even say he got dumped. I think he just didn't get all the way over. He dumped himself (laughs) right on his fucking head. But aside from that, uh, he was no worse for wear. This match was fantastic. A lot of great high-flying and death-defying maneuvers from both guys involved. And um, it was a perfect melding of the way Teton has kind of learned to excel, not just in the Lucha Libre ring, but also working in New Japan's house style. And you can say the same thing for Watto, a guy that went on excursion, learned Lucha Libre, and then came back and almost felt like he had to relearn how to wrestle over here. Uh, These two guys were able to kind of meld those two different styles together, and they told a a beautiful story. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all here for it. Plus... We had, uh, you know, his mentor Tenzon out there, and Tenzon is greater than the whole of LIJ supporting <laughs> Teton. Yeah, that's right. We had uh, all LIJ out again in the Ellie Mortal shirts. Uh, but yeah, this was an incredible main event. I know this was not the finals that most people wanted, but they went out here and had a great final uh, match of the tournament. For me personally, I, I went 4.75. It is my match of the whole tournament. I think wow. they went out here and absolutely killed it. So many people were doubting this main event. Why would they do this? this is, there were so many questions I saw on Twitter. I was getting into conversations with people, you know, because kind of being disappointed and why is this final happening. But they went out here and they knocked it out of the park. Um, having a great match and you know to me I feel like what Watto did was kind of what we talk about where guys are given an opportunity and they kind of have to prove themselves you know you mentioned that whole you know strange bedfellow storyline that led into the four-way at Wrestle Kingdom I feel like Gato whoever sat Watto down was like hey Kushida's out you're in you need to prove that you deserve to be in this storyline in this spot and I feel like since then, he's, you know, grabbed the quote-unquote brass ring, and he ran with it. Like, he proved himself in that tag match. He proved himself in that fatal four-way. And since then, like, he just continues to get better. There's been less botches. I feel like he's more confident. When I looked in his eyes during this match, I didn't just see, I didn't see Master Watto. I saw Hirai Kawato the young lion, <laughs> the leader of that young lion class who we, when we started reviewing this podcast, he was the you know, top young lion beating people with, you know, trouble in paradise on these lion gate project shows. And that here, I had a lot of confidence. Then when he was a young lion. And then like you mentioned, he went on an excursion and things happen. But on this night, he had that same confidence and he's had that confidence in this whole kind of chase and build to this moment. And, uh, like you said, besides the headlock takeover, 
I thought everything he did here was great. This was a hot crowd in uh, the Ota gym here, and they were living and dying with all the near falls. And there were so many great near falls. I mean, he even busted out the Mount uh, Everest German, and Teton kicked out of that. Uh, Watto kicked out of the double stomp. He was able to escape the uh, the Yave Immortal Moodle Lock. Like, they just went back and forth, kicked out of their big moves. And, you know, Teton, um, like you mentioned, kind of wrestles more of a Japanese style. And they talked about this on commentary. Like, Teton is more of a, that lucha residue. Like, he wrestles more like a Japanese wrestler sometimes than he does a luchador. Um, and I think that... And, and I don't think it was always that way. I think it's kind of been a shift uh, adjusting to the various different cultures and styles. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he, he was great in this match as well. And like you mentioned, just so many, uh, great high flying moves, so many great topes and, and near falls. Like these guys absolutely killed it. One of the best matches of this weekend. There was tons of wrestling. There was a main roster, WWE pay-per-view, NXT pay-per-view, AW pay-per-view, stardom show. Like this was, this could be the match of this past weekend. Uh, these guys went out here, had an incredible performance in uh, Master Watto. You know, he hit some out Everstreaming again, but that wasn't enough. He he rolled through, picked him up, his the uh, the Reseda Mente, which is that like that like uh, backslide driver type maneuver. One, two, three, pins Teton and gets the big moment here. Wins best of Super Junior Thirty. Yeah, I liked that finish that he hit the Everest and then rolled through with the uh, Reseda Mente and that sort of is very like King's Road style and you can kind of just see the, the the writing on the wall eventually some someday when the time's right he's gonna hit that on either Hiromu or Despi and maybe beat them or maybe they kick out and then he's gonna need something else and one of the things about Watto is he's still um, what's what's the uh, spiral tap move that what does he call that? He calls it the RPP. That's sort of still that one Achilles heel where he hasn't figured out how to um, perfect that move and utilizing it. And I'm wondering if that's going to eventually be his full ascension to full power when it comes to, <laughs> you know, uh, being the grandmaster. In fact, I thought when you were saying, like, when I was looking in his eyes, I didn't see Watto. I thought you were going to say, I see the grandmaster. <laughs> Yeah, and then I was gonna, and then I was gonna be like, "Whoa, slow down, Jeremy." <laughs> you know, honestly, I think he might have just kind of dropped the RPP from his move set and the uh, tornillo. He used to do all, all these. He used to try to do all these kind of flippy spinning moves, and I think no, there's been a few matches where he's gone for it. Maybe not in this tournament, but just very recently, he'd still be uh, trying to hit it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe you're right. I don't know, but. um Either way, the match was fantastic. Uh, I will say, admittedly, this, like I mentioned, this weekend was hectic as fuck. So, like, by the time I was, like, watching this, I was, like, so pressed for time. Like, I enjoyed it. I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as I should have. I I didn't feel like I was in the right headspace to even give it a star rating, if that is kind of telling of anything. But I, I could obviously tell just by the reactions and what I was seeing that, this was a fantastic finals, and um, I don't know where where it ranks in like the the grand scheme of other finals that we've reviewed. We've reviewed all of them, Jeremy, at this point, pretty much. But uh, 
it, it was a fantastic, fantastic final. And I, I thought it was probably better than the last few years, at, at the very least. Um, the one part of the match, and we got some questions, we'll get to them, but the one part of the match I want to make mention of that I thought was done so beautifully was when he when uh, Teton got Watto in the uh, uh, the Ave Immortal and how long it took Watto to get to those ropes and like the crowd was really believing that this man was going to tap and like they built that move up all tournament long so that they could have this incredible hope spot where it looked like Watto was doomed and he finally like mustered up like the fighting spirit and the courage to get to that rope like it was fucking awesome. Yeah, that was a great spot. I thought Watto did a great job selling there and fighting to uh, get to the ropes. I mean, man, yeah, it's just great stuff. So many great moves in this matchup. Great counters. Um, yeah, man, these guys absolutely killed it. And we have a ton of questions here. So let's uh, run through these. Uh, NVIDIA's PR says, did Watto deliver or is Teton just that good? Yes and yes. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't say Teton did a carry job, you know, uh, Anybody at this point, and I, I don't want to, uh, obviously, MJ has been on the show. I'd like to have, I, I want to do a show with MJ, by the way. We need to get that set up. But, uh, you know, anybody at this point that's implying that Watto doesn't have it, I think they're off base and they're not paying close enough attention. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Like, this guy has made such improvement since that debut during the pandemic, and like you mentioned, the weird vignettes in the forest. Um, yeah, Teton is great, and Watto held up his bargain here, and he delivered. This was not a carry job. Um, Watto carried his end of the match, and look, he looked great in this matchup. Uh, Rambone Slam Pig says, The way to the grand Grandmaster has been a bumpy road at times, but Watto has been pretty good for a while now. Did Boss J succeed at making him? I don't know if I would say it quote-unquote made him because that would imply that he's risen to a level where he's universally respected as a star. I don't think that's happened just yet. But it's a really good step in that direction. Yeah, kind of like what uh, Watto said in the, the press conference today. He says, I have arrived, and I feel like this is what we were waiting for. We were waiting for this guy to actually arrive and like show the goods, you know, show the stuff that we saw when he was a young lion. Uh, next question from Ginger Ninja six six six. What did you guys think of the Moodlelock spot from Watto versus Teton? I probably don't watch nearly as much wrestling as you guys, but that might have been the best rope break spot I've seen in years. The crowd was ravenous. Um, I feel like there's some other ones I could point to that were really great, but I don't have any off the top of my head, but that was an awesome spot as, as I just illustrated and uh, we're on the same wavelength there. Ginger Ninja six, six, six. Yeah. I mean the, the only, the one of the ones that comes to mind is like, you know, Ishii breaking with his teeth when he um, got, I think was it was that the Kenny match when he was looking like, the full Nelson and Kenny was trying to go well, for a dragon. Yeah, but that was that was to the outside. But there, no, there was a spot where he grabbed the rope with his mouth in the inside to break a hold. Maybe, but I, he definitely did that in the Kenny match to the outside because Kenny was trying to drag and suplex him to the outside. And he was holding onto the rope <laughs> with his teeth through a table, and I think he did actually end up doing it. What a crazy fucking time that was! Yeah. Um, 
yeah, there's there's been some really great, you know, rope break spots, but that this one in particular was awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay, 890. Do you think Watto is showing that he can be the future junior ace with this match? I do think that there are probably plans in place to to establish him as such. You know, um, you would think that maybe Sho or Yo are waiting in the ring or <laughs> rings, the wings, but uh, I don't know. Unless something changes, it seems like they're getting passed by their junior, you know? Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like I mentioned earlier, you know, they're trying to build a new young domestic star. And yeah, to me, I think that I don't know if he will end up being the full on ace. I mean, Horomi is still there. Um, it's still pretty active, but he could, yeah, be that next young guy that they're trying to push and kind of be the neck, the new face of the division. Which Do you we, feel like if 20, like, let's say 15 to like 2019 was like the rock and wrestling Hogan connection era of New Japan, right? Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic era. While underrated, is is sort of like uh, you know early '90s, like 1991, '92, '93, like WWE. We might firmly be in the new generation right now. <laughs> yeah, I think we are, man. With, with the, the way, like, yeah, you have Watto want to come up, Suji, Umino, Narita, like we have a ton of young guys that are breaking through and making a name for themselves. I know that that question's going to pop Rich Latta. He fucking loves the new generation <laughs> for, for literally no reason. Other than I think that that's when he probably started watching wrestling. <laughs> um, my question to you, who's Bastion Booger? Uh, and who is Duke the Dumpster Drozzy? Maybe uh, it's not the new generation. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Duke the Dumpster, <laughs> Evil, Bastion Booger, Dick Tobo. <laughs> <laughs> I was just being facetious, but okay. Um, next question says, "Would you put the belt on Watto or Yo first? Ah, uh, that's a really okay. Let me put it to you this way: I would put the belt on Yo if Yo made some very necessary cosmetic changes. Okay, because while yes, last week I did kind of dog him a bit, and I talked about how. I would pretty much invest in almost everybody else in that tournament above him right now. There, There is no denying how talented Yo is from an in-ring standpoint. It's just these kind of lingering issues. The same ones that people pretend are there with Watto, but he seems to have kind of overcome them. Yo still hasn't overcome them. Um, I honestly would... If Yo made the right adjustments, I would put the belt on Yo first, but he would he would need to first make those adjustments as it stands today between the two of them right now right here it would be Watto yeah absolutely agree with you if Gato called me right now Monday May 29th at 10:19 p.m. and said you know Jeremy I'm I'm thinking I'm putting the belt on either Watto or Yo who should I put it on I would tell him to put it on Watto I mean and we're going to do our review of our preview of Dominion, but I said last week, if anybody other than Wanto wins this tournament, I give them less than like 5% uh, chance beating Hiromu. Wanto's the one guy that I said, if he wins this tournament, I thought he might, 
I give him a really good shot at beating Hiromu in this next match. Not saying he's going to, but he's the one guy that I feel like they could belt up and they could totally divert from this V12 story they're doing with Hiromu. Yeah. And okay, okay, 890's last question. Do you think Teton is going to stick around more often, seeing as he eliminated the top two juniors back-to-back? You know, I I think it's just one of those things where uh, they're high on him. I think that New Japan likes to have a key representative from CMLL, somebody that kind of bridges that gap and is very meaningful. Um, And there's a lot of different guys you can kind of point to at at various times, whether that be like Dragon Lee or uh, Mystico or... um, what was Andrade's gimmick? Oh, um, wow, I'm blanking on what his uh, La Sombra, yeah, La, yeah, La Sombra, yeah. And then what was, um, oh god, what am I? I'm like tired, so I'm not thinking of it. Uh, the, the guy that walks the ropes, what's his name? Oh, um, Grandma Talik. But what was he before? Mascarada yeah, or Mascara Dorada. Those were all guys that were key individuals in this New Japan CMLL partnership that were sort of like the go-between, not just for like Fantastica Mania, but like throughout the calendar year. And now we're at a point where like that's Teton. And Volador also fits in that mold as well. But like they haven't been going with Soberano Jr. and Volador lately. Like Teton's their guy. But he's also a top and star in CMLL. And I don't think a lot of new Japan fans are totally aware of that. Like he's in this very lengthy, very meaningful world title reign over in CMLL. And he's one of their like top four, top five guys. So I don't see him spending too much of an expended or extended period in new Japan, but he's like I said, sort of bridging that gap. He shows up three or four tours per year, you know? Yeah, I'm. You know, I think Kevin said he's going back to Mexico um, today, and he is going to jump right back on the CMLL loop. And I think we probably won't see him for a while until either they want to cash in on him challenging Hiromu if Hiromu retains, or if they want to give either Teton Hiromu or Teton Bushi a shot at the junior tag team titles. I wouldn't be surprised if he shows up at the. U.S. All-Star or Junior Festival, whatever it's called. Yeah, he can definitely show up there. That'll probably that's honestly probably the next spot where he'll show up. Because I mean, after Dominion, there's like a, a small New Japan Road Tour, Forbidden Door, and then we're into G1. We're in the heavyweight season. After the G1's over, I would say expect him to be involved most likely in whatever the uh, whatever format the Junior Tag Team Title tournament you know has this year whether that's single or double block yeah uh less commission 7252 what are you guys perspective for master wato getting the push of winning the best of super juniors fans have overlooked his performance from Russell kingdom earlier this year and a few say that he shouldn't have pulled they shouldn't have pulled the trigger on him not quite yet same way for david finley getting a push as leader of the bullet club but still not clicking yet i don't hear people talk about suji getting a main event world tile shot from excursion. Well, I will, I, I'll disagree with you less commission. I think it kind of depends on what sort of, uh, 
echo chambers or bubbles of wrestling you uh, you know move in. But I've heard a lot of a lot of complaints, not from the diehard New Japan fans, but from like the more peripheral fans that exist. That there's a lot of people who are like they don't see Sonata versus Suji as being a compelling main event because it's not one that's been built up really in any way at all. If you really think about it, Sonata was like a new guy that they were going with. And most people expected him to have already dropped the title by, by this point. And his next title challenger, Suji, a guy that is completely unknown and untested in terms of his graduation. So I've seen a lot of discourse about that online. That's just me personally. As far as like uh, David Finley and Watto, I've heard a lot of people say those things too. And to me, and I'm not saying that there's not any validity to any of those arguments. I think there's some validity to all of it, but we're at a point where, and I think that the guys that got it right the most out of all the pundits is probably Joe and Rich over at Voices of Wrestling. They kind of called it when it came down to the pre-pandemic Wrestle Kingdom, and they said that all of the peak stories that were playing out culminated in Tetsuya Naito's win of the title over Okada. And that was sort of like the end of that season or generation of New Japan, and that we were going into an entirely new era. And obviously, things got fucked up quite a bit by uh, COVID and the pandemic and everything. And now we're sort of in this recovery mode. And all throughout that period, I've heard so many people complain about things being stale, things being stagnant. They never do any new, fun, exciting things. It's always the same guys. And yes, the in-ring action is great, but where is, where's the unpredictability? Like where's the excitement of 2013, 2014 new Japan? And now they're doing it. And the other thing, too, is like, why don't they elevate guys? Well, now they're doing it. And there are some fans that are just behind the cue ball. They don't see it coming. They're they're not on top of it like I think some of us are. I think all of those things are great. I think Watto getting elevated is great. I think David Finley getting elevated is great. And I think that them having two new fresh guys in the main event scene of Dominion is great, and there's just people that just don't see it yet, and they're going to join in very soon. They're just not ahead, like keeping a strong style is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those things we say where if people are not watching the product and keeping their eye on it and paying attention to what happens, like... Then yeah, it's kind of you know Suji and Sonata, Wato winning, Dave Finley, book club leader. It it all seems kind of weird, and it kind of seems like what is New Japan doing? But if you're watching all the shows like we are, and all the the diehard Chinihan freaks, like you're you're seeing the moves, you're seeing the booking. It's not like all this stuff kind of came out of nowhere. Like these guys have been being built. We talk about Wato, like this is being built since you know. The fall of last year with that whole storyline, you know, Dave Finley, like he had a great fall last year too with the, the matches with Will Ospreay um, and Yota Suji. I mean, he's was a great young lion. He's been having a great excursion, and uh, you know, he, when he came out and did that run in at the end of um, the last show where he attacked Sonata, 
Like he looked like a million bucks. So I think Gato's been a, done a great job of making these stuff make sense, even with it being like unexpected and not predictable. Like it does kind of make sense, and he's booking everything I think very well right now and doing a great job of elevating these guys. Yeah, and it's one of those things where could some of these experiments not work out, right? Totally. That's definitely on the table. Is there a chance that a push or an elevation just doesn't pan out? Sure. Does that mean that everything that they're doing across the board is going to be a failure? Well, history tells us no. And I'm inclined to think that that's not the case. I think that it's okay for them to take some chances, okay? Like, uh, Gato, to me, has sort of earned that trust and respect from us. I, I, I was more bored, let's say, when he wasn't taking chances, and they were very much, like, contracted in on themselves, New Japan, during the pandemic, where they were afraid to make any kind of move because they didn't know what sort of environment they are working in. They didn't know what guys they were going to have on what tours, and Everything was just so, you know, protected. And now we're taking some chances. We're, we're moving forward with guys. I, I think one of the problems in New Japan is that they, they need to take more chances. They've got that entire L.A. Dojo class of guys just waiting out in the wings. And I'm like, what's going to happen with Alex Coughlin and Gabe Kidd and yada, yada? Like, there's other stuff that needs to happen. And um, I think it's a very fresh, fun, and exciting time. And... Uh, my perspective ultimately is that this push for Wato is a, a very healthy and positive sign for New Japan. Yeah, absolutely agree with everything you just said there. Um, last question here from Heavenly Halberd. Is it concerning for Wato's push that the crowd was more into Teton even after Wato's enormous victory? I didn't pick up on that personally, but like I mentioned, I wasn't totally in the headspace to give this definitive say so as far as like star rating and perspective one way or the other jeremy is this something that you noticed in any discernible way i mean i did notice you know big chance for teton obviously he's aligned with lij lij is always has always been the most popular faction in new japan but i mean i think there were a lot of wato chance but like also like the, the near fall the near submission spot with the yave mortal the crowd was like really into teton because they thought you know Wato's going to tap out because of how that, that move was built in. Post-match, they were just giving Teton his respect. Like, that man had to be helped out of the ring by LIJ and making his way to the back. They, you know, the crowd showed their respect and chanted for him. But once he left, the, I think the crowd that were, were cheering and into Wato's celebration. I think it's uh, high time that New Japan have one of one of us Mexicans win the best of super juniors. I mean, it's a little insulting after 30 years that you don't got a luchador anywhere in the history of your tournament winning this shit. I mean, come on. <laughs> Actually, I can, did Eddie Guerrero win this? I can't remember. I, I can't, I can't remember either. We'd have to... <laughs> <He might have. laughs> uh, but yeah, so post match, I mean, big celebration here. They shoot off the, the blue streamers. Uh, Obari comes in the ring, hands Wato the trophy. He gets the best of Super Junior 30 flag. The uh, the rock band Ash the Hero comes out, and they're, they're the ones who hand him the flag. Tons of photo ops for uh, Wato. He grabs the mic, calls out Hiromu. Uh, Hiromu comes out, and uh, Wato officially challenges 
Hiromu for Dominion. Hiromu accepts. So, junior title match back on at Dominion. You know, last year was on New Japan Road, but Wato Mania has carried this title back to where it should be <laughs> at the second biggest show of the year, Dominion. Yeah. And uh, we've got the full Dominion card to preview. We're going to jump into that here in just a moment. But uh, I, I hate uh, Hiromu's fuzzy shorts. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> this man sporting the fuzzy shorts. But, uh, yeah, the crowd. I thought the crowd was really into Watto when it was all said and done. So um, looking forward to that match. Glad it's on Dominion. Uh, let's jump into the preview. We got Dominion 2023, uh, June 4th, coming up, Osaka Joe Hall, so a really, really big show. And uh, Jeremy, kick it off. Also, by the way, when is the All Together? Is that after this? Yeah, that's uh, June 9th, I believe. Can we do like an old school, just like back in the day, keeping it strong style, where when shit like that happened, we just didn't give a fuck? We can, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just playing, but yeah, let's jump into this. All right, so Dominion 2023 is going to kick off with the IWGP United States Heavyweight Title Number One Contendership match. The Murder Hawk Monster Lance Archer will take on the leader of the United Empire, Will Osprey. Uh, these two guys have had some really great matches against one another in the past, um, but I do have some concerns. Uh, I don't want to discount Will Ospreay, obviously. He's always great, but, you know, there were still concerns after his previous match with Tanahashi that while, yes, he's cleared, he still seems to be bothered by his, uh, what is it, his shoulder? Yeah. That still seems to be like a la- like a, a, a nagging issue. And I'm wondering if that's something that is going to prevent him from going on to fight Kenny. And we don't even know when that match is going to happen between these, you know, whoever wins this match obviously gets a title shot against Kenny Omega. We don't know when or where that takes place or for what company, but uh, you would imagine that it would be Will Ospreay winning this. We'd set the big rematch up from earlier back in January, but uh, I am wondering how Will's going to be able to perform. He's performed through a lot of injuries in the past, but those things have, have ultimately, you know, um, kind of like, uh, what's the word? Like he, they've kind of built up over a period of time and it's been hard for him to, to continue wrestling. And so I'm sort of worried about that. I'm also curious about what a Lance Archer versus big boy. Will match looks like in 2023. It's not, quite the same dynamics from their earlier matches they've had. Yeah, they had two great matches in 2019. Uh, New Japan Cup, where Will had the upset win, beating Archer, and then they had the rematch in the opening night of the G1 in Dallas. We were there live, watching those guys uh, kill it. Archer got the big win that night, so they're, they're tied one-on-one in their overall singles record. But yeah, the dynamic's going to be a little bit different. I mean, Archer's still bigger than Will, so Will still kind of undersized, but he has put on a lot, a lot of muscle. Um, so yeah, wondering how that dynamic is going to be. And you know, this match has an interesting position. It's the, the opening match on this card, and I'm wondering if that is to help Will with the injury. You know, with this being the opener, I don't think Will is expected to go out there and try to have a five star match. I think 
Right. Obviously, the match will still be great, but I could easily see this match being a shorter match and it being in the, in the four star range, and maybe Will not doing everything completely crazy, but it, it's great enough to kind of get you on the right foot for this show. All right, and I mean, like like I mentioned, he's been cleared, but he has been working that regularly, so they're probably still trying to give him some time to sort of like rehab and, uh, you know, get into a healthy space so he can continue to compete. So I would say expect Will Ospreay to win, to win here. And then uh, when is Forbidden Door, by the way? Forbidden Door is June 26th, I believe. And that seems like the most likely place for this uh match to take place and um but that's not a very like long turnaround here because that's just a few weeks right yeah it's uh, so uh is sunday june 25th yeah so we're talking about like 19 days a little over two weeks uh between this match and then forbidden door uh one way or the other i would say maybe expect kenny omega for like a, a video to pop up at the end, regardless of who wins here. Yeah, probably. Yeah, definitely said that. And you know, the, the, I mean, the artwork on like this whole tournament has had kind of the forbidden door uh, like overlays, like on on Kenny's side of the whole bracket thing. So I definitely think the match will should be happening at Forbidden Door. And so yeah, I think we'll get a Kenny promo video after the match. And yeah, I expect Will Ospreay to win here to get the the epic uh, rematch of the year. In Forbidden Door in uh, Toronto, but I am wondering if there's a, a situation where, like, say Lance Archer wins, and then he goes to Forbidden Door against Kenny Omega, and then they set up the Will Osprey match at a later date when maybe he's a bit more healthy, especially considering the circumstances, and then maybe we get that match at, like, say Wembley or something like that. I think that's a very real possibility now. Yeah, I mean. If it happened in Wembley, I would love that because I'm going to be there live. So uh, <laughs> whether they do a second match or they end up doing a trequel, uh, you know, a three three match series, um, I would love to see that. Okay. Uh, so we're we're both going with uh, Will here. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say Will, but uh, I would say expect the possibility that it's not a foregone conclusion that Lance Archer might not win here. Yeah. So then the second match of the night, we have LIJ versus Just Five Guys. It'll be Bushi, Shingo, Naito, and Teton against Doki, Taichi, Taka, and Kanamaru. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of preview matches between these two stables very recently leading up to this main event. So this, to me, just kind of feels like more filler at the bottom. Um, But hypothetically, you know, Taichi is... The king of pro wrestling. I don't know if there's something that they could establish there. Uh, at the same time, I sort of feel like Shingo and Naito, you kind of want to move them beyond KOPW. So, and Teton's going back to Mexico, and Bushi doesn't really seem to fit that mold. So, this is probably just the blow off to the ongoing feud that they've had all throughout this tour. Yeah. Or, I mean, it could kind of just be a continuation if Suji's going to align. With Lij, um, I think you could continue out that Lij just five guys, and uh, depending on what happens in the main event, I mean, you could build a Naito if Sonata wins. Naito challenging next, maybe either in the fall or I mean, Naito could win the G One, and potentially you do Naito Sonata in the Tokyo Dome. 
Possibly, but I, I mean, we're to expect that whoever wins this match goes into the G1 as champion, and it's supposed to be an open-ended situation going into the G1. Nothing de- definitive is supposed to be established prior to that, right? Right. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit of seed planning going on, but I wouldn't. I don't expect at the end of the night. Let's say if uh, you know, Sonata, either guy wins. I don't expect anybody to come out and challenge them because we're going into G one either way. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh, so I think I'm gonna go uh with Lij getting the win here. Um. I'm just, I'll go with just five guys simply for the reason that they, yeah, I'm going to go with LIJ. Got... <laughs> you saw Taka's name, didn't you? <laughs> I'm just, well, it's not that. It's just like they got Shingo and Naito on the other side, but there's a part of me that feels like just five guys should win. They've been eating a lot of losses on this previous tour. Yeah. Like maybe Tai Chi should just be Bushi, you know? Yeah, I mean that 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 definitely could happen. Yeah, Abushi is a pin eater there, um, but I mean you got Doki and Taka and Kanemaru. You got three juniors on the other side. Right. That's why I'm like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I go Lij. Uh, so uh, next matchup we have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Title Match. The champions, the Intergalactic Jet Setters, Kevin Knight. And Kushida will defend against Catch 2-2, Francesco Akira, and TJP. This is the third match in their rivalry. Yeah, uh, well, the first two matches have been fantastic, so this one should be very good as well. But there's the added, uh, you know, consequences of this past year's Best of the Super Juniors and the fact that Kevin Knight, being the apprentice to Kushida, he did better in his block. Kushida did the worst he's ever done historically. And Catch 2-2 are the you know previous champions, and they both did very, very well in their blocks. And they're one of the top probably three or four tag teams in the world right now. So, you know, the intergalactic jet setters really have their work cut out for them here. Yeah, this is going to be a great matchup. And like you said, yeah, the jet setters, they got something to prove here. Um, both of them, even though Kevin Knight did better, he didn't do that much better. So both of these guys had, had a rough super juniors and are going to have to prove that, you know, that they can be, um, you know, the, the top junior tag team when they're going up a team against a team like catch two, two. Um, and I don't know. I kind of feel like catch two, two are going to win it back. Well, I never expected, uh, Kevin Knight and Kushida to win the titles in the first place. So that really shocked me to begin with. Um, maybe Kevin Knight and Kushida win and then establish their reign, and that kind of proves that they're better than the sum of their parts as a uh, you know as a team, and we kind of go from there. But if they do lose, that that continues to to deepen the wound and open up more questions about what is the role for Kushida in New Japan in 2023. You know? Yeah, I'm gonna go with Catch Two as well. Nice. Yeah, I think that that leads to the better story options of like what happens next. And yeah, there's that potential heel turn that we kind of threw out there a couple of weeks ago with Kushida, maybe kind of being frustrated and blames Kevin Knight uh, for his uh, his losing ways. And you know, nice go, some WWE action. Nice, <laughs> you people. Uh, 
joins Bullet Club, like was rumored uh, when he was coming back to New Japan. So uh, we'll see. But then again, it would be kind of weird to have, I guess, you know, a Bullet Club member as the head trainer of the academy. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we're going for uh, catch two. Maybe the story is just you're old. You're forty. You're old. <laughs> uh, old's down bad. <laughs> Oh man! So let's move on to the the fourth match of the evening: NJPW World TV Championship match. The champion Zach Saber Jr. taking on Jeff Cobb in a rematch here from Wrestling Dontaku. They like to do title changes at big shows like this, and Jeff Cobb already pushed Zach Saber Jr. to the limit the previous uh, match that they had. And so it's really incumbent on Zach to either establish, like, I am still the shit. Fuck you. This is my belt. And, you know, hold this loss. Or Jeff Cobb takes it by force. And I'm kind of thinking we're going to get another. I know that I booked a title change the the match prior to this, but um, it feels like we're we're gonna get a lot of title changes here. That's just my feeling. Yeah, I, I'm going with Jeff Cobb. I feel like we're in for a United Empire night. So we have Uh-oh. we have Osprey. Every time Jeremy says this, it's always wrong. <laughs> uh, Every time you say that an entire unit is gonna win, it's always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm rethinking things. <laughs> I don't know, man. With uh, I think Osprey has a good chance to win. Catch two two has a good chance to win. Uh, and then you roll that momentum right into Jeff Cobb winning. Uh, if you want you know, Empire going strong and you want Will kind of being really strong going into the next Kenny match and having his whole unit, you know, having an, uh, all the titles and ending Dominion with, um, you know, big wins here. Yeah, I could see Jeff Cobb getting the win here. Plus, with the, the rumored match for Forbidden Door, they're going to try and do this, the Sabre-Danielson match that they tried to do last year. But Danielson got hurt. And I don't think you'd want to do a TV title match with Saber and Danielson, limited to 15 minutes. Um, and plus, if you if Saber's going to have to lose, I don't think you want to beat the TV champ either. So you put the belt. Hey, uh, Zach Saber should not lose to Brian Danielson this year. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm just telling you that <laughs> should not happen. He already lost last year to Claudio. He should not eat another loss at Forbidden Door. That would be really fucked up. But uh, regardless, it doesn't matter how... I guess we'll talk about it in the news, but it doesn't matter how many wins you give to United, United Empire during this night. They're already kind of down bad regardless. So <laughs> well, uh, maybe this is their, their, their chance to try and rehab the group. But yeah, Jeff Cobb, I, I think Jeff Cobb is going to win. And you, you added some uh, fuel to that flame with some of the conjecture you had there. So yeah. And uh, we can actually talk about the, the Aussie Open news in combination with this next match. So match number five will be... They f- left? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, Aussie Open, they, they are all elite. They've signed with AEW. We know that they were stripped of the IWGP and strong tag team titles due to Mark Davis's injury. But in the meantime, Fletcher's been working hard. ROH tapings. He had the match of Orange Cassidy, which we'll talk about in excursion match of the week. And then after the match, yeah, Tony Khan posts on Twitter. Aussie Open is all elite. He uh, paid for the surgery for uh, Mark Davis, so good on TK for that. Um, but yeah, these guys are now you know their number one, their main promotion, their home promotion 
is now AEW. Yeah, so moving forward, they don't qualify for excursion match. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, make that official today. But, um, you know, fuck New Japan, bro. They have these guys. I don't, I mean, we don't have any inside information, but like, how do you not fucking sign Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis in 2023? Like, you had them here. You had them. They were the champ, they were double champions. Bro, like, I, I get it. A lot of wrestlers out there are marks for belts, but like, you got to give them a contract too. You got to put some ink to paper and then you got to pay them well. And I, I don't know what they were getting paid, but like probably need to be more than what, what it was. Uh, regardless, this is this sucks. This just fucking absolutely fucking sucks. And, and trust me, I'm not somebody who's against people bettering themselves. Good on Kyle Fletcher, good on Mark Davis. I'm I'm happy for them to to uh do what's best for their careers and their families and their lives and all of that. And, and, Hopefully they get used right in AEW. Hopefully. But um, what I don't like about it, I don't care about people going on and having better uh, opportunities. What I don't like is that we waited all these years for Aussie Open to finally get to New Japan. And then within six months of them finally like getting here and being used, they're already gone. How did you not fucking lock them up, New Japan? You've had so many issues over the past few years where you weren't signing guys that needed to be signed to contracts. You need to just like start signing guys to contracts when they're worth it. I know you're in cost cutting mode and everything, but like you can't just operate off a handshake commitment anymore. That's not going to work. You're not doing a good enough job measuring the the, the 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 entire like atmosphere of what's going on in the marketplace of, of wrestling. AEW and WWE exist. And if there's someone fucking good out there, they're going to snatch them up and they're going to pay them well. And you keep losing talent to those guys. And it's starting to look like you're a feeder league for Tony Khan. That sucks. Pay these people and get them signed to contracts. Stop fucking up. Yeah, I heard a rumor today that New Japan actually did make an offer to Aussie Open, but it was not what they thought Fair they enough. were. Yeah, what they were valued, and obviously, you know, TK more. has has the has the money to uh, give them a, a sweeter deal. So that's that's a rumor I heard today. I'm not sure if they actually made them an offer or not, but yeah, it, it is um, very disappointing to see that these guys are not going to be signed in New Japan. And I know there are people saying, well. AEW and New Japan work together. They they can still show up in New Japan, and yes, that is true. And I know Kyle Fletcher was on, was on the uh, the AEW Japan Twitter, sending a message out saying you know they're coming back for the the uh, IWGP Tag Team Titles, um, and, and that's all well and good. But we we've seen a precedent for how sparingly AEW talent are are being used in New Japan. You know FTR. They were the mm-hmm. IWGP Tag Team Champions last year. What do they do? Like, what two matches in Japan, uh, and one on a in, in Japan truck, like in Japan proper, tr- proper, right? And then what? What one match yeah, on like the on, on the UK show, and then I think Dax worked a couple strong tapings. So, um, and you know, Kenny Omega, like you mentioned, you know, we haven't seen him back in Japan since Wrestle Kingdom. 
we're finally just getting John Moxley back in Japan. Like um, as as great as the AEW New Japan partnership is, and Forbidden Door is cool and all that stuff. Um, we just haven't had the president of what we thought the partnership was going to look like. Uh, I think we all had more of an expectation to what it looked like when John Moxley was kind of working both in uh, 2019 and 2020. And even then they weren't, they weren't actually really working together. Then that was just Moxley being signed to both and doing dates for both. And I think we, I think we thought it was going to look more like that when they were actually working together, um, that these guys are actually working less dates (laughs) since uh, they've been working together. So yes, I mean, I'm hoping that we do get Aussie open back in, uh, in Japan and they get to do some big matches, but I think, I mean, it's probably going to be more of an FTR situation if these guys come back and win the belts. When it's 2023 and these two groups have been working together for multiple years now, we still haven't gotten the Young Bucks in New Japan. There's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for those guys, but this just fucking sucks. <laughs> There's like, there's no cool way to spin it. And if you think that ultimately we're still going to see, oh, damn. (laughs) If we're still going to see uh, a lot of, you know, Aussie Open in New Japan, like, I think you're fooling yourself. It's going to be sparing. Uh, They're going to be beholden to the whims of Tony Khan. and And they're expanding the amount of television time that they're needing, uh, you know, uh, just generally speaking, because they've got collision and dynamite plus house shows plus a, or a uh, ring of honor. Uh, I, I don't see those open windows for a team of the caliber of Aussie open it to work a tour for new Japan. Um, will we see them show up in strong? I'm sure we will just like Eddie Kingston does. And, Will they show up every now and again for a big, big show? Sure. But, like, the idea that they're going to be effective in, in the company and, and, and you know, in Aussie or in uh, United Empire, like, it's pretty much done, so, bro. It's over. Yeah. So, uh, the matchup now uh, for the IWGP tag team titles and strong openweight titles is going to be Bishamon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. Against Aaron Hanare and Great Okan and Evil and Yujiro Takahashi. Well, the one fortunate thing, and uh, excuse the noise that's over here. <laughs> um, the one fortunate thing is that for guys like Great Okan and Aaron Hanare, who didn't necessarily have anything going on for themselves current day, um, and we've been sort of wondering, like, has United Empire been a bit bloated because they have a lot of really talented guys, but um, you know, ever since they kind of established Aussie Open as like their main tag unit, then the other guys in the unit that weren't involved in, in the tag scene sort of needed to kind of find a new niche for themselves. And well, now that's sort of gone. So that created uh, a very immediate express opportunity for great O'Connor and Aaron Hanari. And maybe they're able to take advantage of that. I don't know. Um, I got to tell you, I have no 
interest in watching House of Torture win the double titles. That just sounds so shitty and sounds like something they might actually do. Uh, especially considering, like, last year they had the, the belts and Folly and Chase Owens. It just seems right up their alley to do that. And again, because both titles are on the line, it makes you wonder, what is the point of the strong titles at all? Yeah, uh, I mean, we could always dive into the whole argument whether or not Strong needs titles or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing to think about, you know, you mentioned Chase and Fale. The thing about those guys, though, was they got the belts a little off those guys real quick going into Forbidden Door. Um, so I think we've got to remember that's kind of coming up. And so to me, I think where it's, it has to be either Bishamon or United Empire. Uh, that's going to win here. Um, Bishamon had a great match on the pre-show last year against Swerve in our glory. Um, so I could see maybe TK warning those guys to be the champs, especially um, if they're going to go kind of take Aussie open spot and facing FTR. And we know Bishamon and FTR had a great match at Wrestle Kingdom. So you could run that back Bishamon versus FTR, uh, or you just have uh, Hanare and Okan kind of fill United Empire territory and have those guys face FTR. I honestly wouldn't be, as far as like uh, Forbidden Door is concerned, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go back to doing Aussie Open versus FTR regardless, because they still do sort of have the quasi relationship with New Japan. So, you know, that's, I think that's on the table either way. Um, at this point, they could, I mean, it's really dealer's choice. They could put the titles on any of the guys here. Bishamon have proven themselves as you know, the top uh, domestic team in Japan. So I wouldn't be surprised there. You could, but you could do something fresh by putting the title on either United Empire or House of Torture regardless. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just going to stick with my uh, United Empire theme of the night, and I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Hanare and Okan. I think they... I'm just going to be the, the the outlier. I think they're going with House of Torture. They don't have anything oh, else no. to do right now. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, we, we got some questions here. G- Ginger Ninja 666, and I, I just read over this question, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say that me and him were on the same wavelength, but we might be because he says, with the Aussie Open out of the picture for the foreseeable future, it would only make sense in my mind for New Japan to give one of their domestic teams a long-term reign to try and create some stability in the tag division. With this in mind, should House of Torture hold the tag belts for two years or only the one year? Uh, how about <laughs> zero years? <laughs> they, they should never. It, dude, in the, the year of our Lord, 2023, <laughs> Yuro Takahashi should not be holding any championship in New Japan and pro wrestling. He shouldn't be a tag champ, a strong tag champ, TV <laughs> champ, uh, KOPW, uh, never six man, never US. Like, Yujiro Takahashi should not. U30 open. Right. Bring back all, any any defunct titles. You, you bring the, back. The NWF title. <laughs> Yujiro should not be in contention for any title. And he should not be <laughs> holding any title. Um <laughs> So uh, I'm all I'm out on, on Udrow holding any titles. And um, if they're going to go with a domestic team, it, it should be Bishamon. 
Okay, okay, 890 says, do you think Aussie Open are done in Japan for the most part? Will they carry on their crazy schedule and have some tours in Japan still? Uh, I mean, it's to be determined right now. I mean, if they if TK allows them to do the, the similar schedule that they've been doing, I'd be surprised. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. It's what I said earlier. He also asked, with AEW being a WWE alternate, do you think that the days of top star Gaijins are going to fade in New Japan? I don't think so. I mean, in the history of New Japan, and just in Japanese wrestling in general, bringing in top foreigners um, has always kind of been a thing, and bringing them in for tours or, or one shot. So I think the door will always be open, and for them always you know, trying to get some kind of foothold in the U.S., I think they'll continue to find new foreigners to bring in. Um, and we've, we've kind of seen this formula play out where guys get signed and that they find new foreigners to bring in. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of talent out there and it's definitely part of the MO going all the way back to the days of Anoki where, all right, you're not going to give me any dates on the WWF champion. Okay, you're not going to give me any dates on the NWA or any of their top guys. We're going to go find other foreign foreigner stars and bring them in, and they've always done that successfully. Yeah, It might not be people that you know outright, but how many of those guys did New Japan bring in over the past 15 years that became mega stars that went on to go sign with WWE that were basically unknowns before New Japan brought them in. There's a lot of them, you know? Yeah. Ricochet, um, Will Ospreay, the list goes on and on. There's there's a lot Jay of White. Kenny, Jay White, Kenny Omega. Uh, a lot of these dudes made their name, Prince Devitt, they made their names here in New Japan first before they ever went to those big companies. And those companies, quite frankly, are so bloated, I don't know if they're going to figure out the value of a Dan Maloney or a Michael Oku or someone like that. You know, they're not going to go to Germany and, and sign the best prospect from WXW. Right. And there's still, I mean, we have a lot of uh, foreigner young lines too. You know, you got Oscar Lube, Bolton Oleg, and you know, you got the, the LA dojo guys, Coglin, uh, DKC and, you know, Clark Connors and all these guys, Gabe kid, like New Japan has a ton of foreign stars. Like, if more foreigners got signed, you know, let's say Osprey leaves and Tama leaves and Hikaleo, like they have a ton of guys already kind of in their camp that they could elevate. Yeah, we have no clue what could be waiting in the wings of the New Japan Academy headed by Fred Rosser and Kushida. <laughs> you just never know. Yeah. Uh, he skipped over a question from Def Triangle 720. says, should New Japan... Oh, my bad. Stop giving popular foreigners titles if they're not under contract. Yes. Yeah, they need to be under contract. Period. Yeah, or well, nope. just, <laughs> you you could <laughs> do you, you, you could do like a, a one tour kind of deal where like they they win the titles in the beginning of a tour and then drop them at the end of the tour. No, that's bullshit, bro. No. <laughs> We're not doing that anymore. <laughs> stop. We need to stop. It's embarrassing now. Uh, last question here. Last commission 7252. If Aussie opened signing with AEW, how badly did New Japan drop the ball if not signing one of the best tag teams 
they had currently. They really didn't don't have a tag division other than Bishamon, Okan, and Cobb, TMDK, and House of Torture. How can New Japan stack up their tag division with this loss by losing a legitimate tag team? They'll be fine. They don't even give a fuck about the tag team division anyway, so. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, as disappointing as a loss this is, we keep saying this, New Japan is not a tag team promotion. Gato does not really... I don't know if he, I want. I don't maybe maybe not values too harsh, but it's not his priority. Tag team wrestling is not his priority, and we, we've seen that over the years. And so it is a big loss and a detriment to the, the tag division. But at the end of the day, Gato's more concerned about building up single stars, singles main events. Every promoter has that sort of you know weak point, something that they're just not high on. You know, for Vince, it might be small guys. You know, for Gato, it's, you know, tag teams. For Tony Khan, it's women, you know? So, it is what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. So, uh, moving on. um, The uh, G1 Climax 33 lineups will be announced on this show. Uh, Two questions here. Def Triangle 720 says, do you think they should cut out some people who are regulars in the G1 for some fresh faces and less commission. 7252 says this year's uh, best of super juniors has been full of surprise outcome and disbelief. I feel like we could expect the same when it comes down to announcing the G1 climax competitors. I'm predicting that we could get no wrestlers such as Kiyomiya, Manabu Soya, Kano and Masakitamiya. If Ishii is in this year, what do you guys think about that? That's too many. They're not going to do that many um, from just one company. It seems highly unlikely, but maybe one, maybe two. That would be cool. Um, yeah, I think there'll be some surprises. We've got some openings, some people that have left the company recently. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. I can't wait. Yeah, I think with just what's going on, we are going to get a ton of fresh faces, especially if just guys are pushing. I mean, Yota Sushi is getting a world title shot. Like, I would think he, he kind of has to be in the G1. Chota Umino is, is a feuding with Okada, and you know he's feuded with Will Ospreay. I would think Shooter has to be in. I would think maybe Ren Narita has to be in. Uh, you know he's he's feuded with Okada as well. Like there's a lot of new young guys, new heavyweights that are making uh, a splash, and are guys that are pushing. So yeah, I do think that we're in for a big shakeup this year. Uh, we're not sure what the format is if they're going to do the two block or four block again. Um, but I, I think we're in for um, a lot of uh, fresh faces. Well, let's jump into the final four matches. While this card has looked very good, we got four bangers back-to-back-to-back here at the top of the card. Yeah, so six match of the night will be for the never openweight title. The champion, David Finley, will defend against El Fantasimo. It's a tough call because, obviously, Dave Finley, leader of the Bull Club, sort of newly appointed leader of the bull club and he just won that title from Tamatanga recently. But El Fantasmo's also just, you know, gone babyface and just sort of, you know, left the bull club and sort of uh, been elevated. And this is somewhat of a crossroads match for both guys as well. Um I think the more telling thing that needs to happen here, regardless, we need to see a top-notch performance out of these two guys because that never title used to really mean something special and it just hasn't quite meant that even even as much as I might have liked Tamatonga's reign and seeing him take it off of uh 
Carl Anderson. It just hasn't felt like the never title in a while. They have an opportunity here to kind of reestablish the significance and importance of that belt, even if it's not going to be the Carl Gotch strong style belt. It, it still would be really great for them to go out there and have something that's uh, special. And I think they're the right two guys to do it. I, I'm going with David Finley, unfortunately, but I'll be rooting in my heart for El Fantasmo. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's definitely a tough decision. Like both guys need the win here, but this is what I see happening. I see a new Bullet Club member making their presence known somehow in this match, helping David Finley get the win. Post match, they beat up ELP, and then somebody from Hontai will run out, make a save, and officially welcome ELP to Hontai, and we'll kind of continue this rivalry with Bullet Club and Hontai. I think Bullet Club Gold's Jay White shows up and screws David Finley. <laughs> and uh, then we find out that Al Fantasmo is part of Bullet Club Gold. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I hope. I mean, that's probably not going to happen, but my guess is as valid as yours. So. Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. But I'm going Finley. Uh, next up, we got the never open weight six-man tag team title match. Kazuchika Okada, Tomohiro Ishii. And Hiroshi Tanahashi, the champions, will defend against Claudio Castagnoli, John Moxley, and the roughneck Shota Umino. All of the matches that they've had recently with uh, Tanahashi, Ishii, and Okada facing off against, you know, different variations of a similar group as this have been awesome. And so to kind of finally get the final blow off where we've got Claudio and John Moxley and Shotsumino here. Uh, I think there is definitely a opportunity for an angle alert in the middle of the match or even post match. That's definitely on the table, but I am very excited. I think uh, with all the talent involved, this is going to be pretty incredible. And um, I'm expecting the New Japan team to retain their titles, but don't be too surprised if BCC and Shoto Mino ret- or win those belts, and then they sort of have them heading into Forbidden Door. Yeah, again, another match I could see going either way, and I agree with you. I, you know, I'm trying to look at the card and see like the match, see who's who's a pin eater here, and. You know, from the the challenger side, I would say, you know, Ubino is the most likely person to get pinned. And then on the champion side, probably Ishii would probably guess be the quote-unquote painter on that side. Um, so it the, could be Tanahashi, though. The, yeah, it could be. Yeah, the ace. Yeah, Mox. We've seen Mox beat him in the past. Mox could... Uh, I think they've got two liabilities there. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'm feeling like Okada losing to one of these guys is going to come... Like in a single situation, like we saw Narita fail to retain the titles um, with strong style. And so I think that um, in the quest to beat Okada here, I think that Umino is going to fail. And uh, now, when you say the quest to beat Okada, are you talking about him being the losing member of his team, or are you just talking about the team losing? Um, I think both. I think the team's going to lose, and I think it's going to be just like with Narita, I think it's going to be Okada. Uh, it's going to come down to Okada and Umino, and Okada's going to hit the Rainmaker and pin, pin Umino. Right, but what I'm asking is, like, would it really matter if the team lost if Okada's not the one taking the pinfall? Um, 
No, I mean, I don't think I don't think it matters. No, yeah, you could have yeah Moxley pin Tanahashi or Ishii Claudio pin uh, Tanahashi or Ishii or, or even Shooter getting the win over one of the other guys. Because even if BCC wins, let's say Okada's still going to have that claim, like no one beat me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, and then and then this ongoing quasi quest that sort of seems to exist between him and this younger generation. It continues on. He might not have a never six man title belt, but whatever. Like he's still Okada. He's still unbeaten by one of those dudes. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm going after the the champs retaining here. It definitely could be wrong. Wouldn't be surprised if uh, BCC wins here. I, I'm I'm leaning the same way. And we had a question from Ginger Ninja six six six. Who do you see scoring a pinfall slash submission victory over Okada first? Narita Shota. Yuya or Suji? Osprey. (laughs) (laughs) Can can Will get a win first before he goes to AEW? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, out of this crop, I mean, I I would probably say it, it might be Suji. It's too early to tell. But, yeah. Uh, right. Right now, I'd say Shota, but yeah. uh, we'll see. Then the semi-main event will be for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title. The champion Hiromu Takahashi will defend against the best the Super Junior Thirty winner, Master Wato. Very much looking forward to this. Very excited. Nonetheless, I think Hiromu still retains, but I don't think it's as strong. As it would have been if it was any other challenger. I give Wato like a 35% chance to beat Hiromu. Meaning, I'm not going to be totally surprised if he wins here. But I, I still, ultimately, at the end of the day, think they're going with the V12 story with Hiromu. I see him winning here and moving forward. But Wato kind of needs the win. So, uh, Interesting stat from our friend Chris Samsa at the Chris Samsa on Twitter says in his career, Hiromu Takahashi is 3-16 and 16 in singles matches in Osaka. His three victories were all IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship matches. Hmm. Also, Osaka is the hometown of Master Wato. Um, he made a big deal about that in the, in the press conference, being excited to challenge for the title in his hometown. Um so, yeah, I mean, if they really want to make a star, have the guy win in his hometown and kind of complete this whole kind of quest and journey, or you kind of continue this, this history of Hiromu winning all of his title matches in Osaka. So, yeah, I, I don't know where, where they're going to go here. Um, I'm kind of leaning uh, towards Hiromu retaining. That's that's exactly what I said. I'm I'm backing Hiromu here. But again, if Wato wins, I mean, it will be a surprise, but not a surprise. Precisely. Yeah. Um, and then that leads us to the main event of the evening for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. The champion, the leader of just five guys, Sonata, will take on Yota Suji. 
This is uh, exciting from a certain standpoint, but one thing that uh, we haven't touched too much on is that, like, yes, Nada's been winning in these, uh, you know, some of these pre-match uh, previews or whatever, but he's just kind of been there as the champion. It hasn't really felt like a strong established thing like, oh, shit, Sonata, the world champion, is on these undercards previewing or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's kind of definitely been yeah out of focus on this tour. And honestly, I know majority of the tour is focused on the actual junior tournament, but even when we got to the end of the tour and the heavyweights were back, yeah, he was just kind of there. Um, and I get Suji wasn't there to kind of really heat things up, but yeah, it just kind of seems like there wasn't a, a strong presence for him. Um, but I mean, it's a fresh matchup. Like, I don't even think Sonata faced this guy as a young lion in any kind of singles match. So first time singles matchup here, fresh matchup for the title. And yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to see what this match is going to look like, what Suji is going to look like. I mean, we've seen some stuff from his excursion, but you know, this is kind of quote unquote, the, you know, the, the final form after, after, you know, excursion and coming back. So yeah, I'm just really curious to see what this match looks like. Yeah, there's so many unknowns um, leading into this one that everything is really up in the air. And I think that this is a fantastic main event for like those that are plugged into the New Japan product. And I think that it falls on them because Dominion is such a big show. A lot of people are going to tune in regardless, you know, mm-hmm. but um, Sonata sort of has this reputation as being like a great hand and maybe they've tur- they turned the corner on him a bit, but he's not quite top, top level sort of thing, you know? He's not a guy that's going to go out there and give us truly great classics, and then you're kind of tasking him on the second biggest show of the year to go out there and perform with, with a, a young lion returning from excursion with no other prior, you know, post-excursion New Japan matches. It's a huge test for him. It's a huge test for Suji. So there's a lot of weight on both of those guys' shoulders. And I'm hoping that they go out there and they over-deliver and just fucking blow us all away and give us a classic. Yeah, um, I don't I don't expect Suji to win. Uh, if he did, that would be somewhat akin to like when Okada defeated uh, Tanahashi. It would be shocking. But um, I think Sonata retains. But I hope they go out there and they just blow us away. Yeah, I agree. I hope yeah, it's a, I hope it's a great matchup. And I agree. I, I'm going with Sonata here. And again, I'm just thinking about Forbidden Door. And if you're going to bring over the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, who are you going to who are you going to want on that interpromotional show? And I, I think you you want Sonata. I mean, I remember in Dallas when we were there for the G1, that guy was wildly popular. Uh, with, the, with the fan base here, which we know makes up a lot of the AW fan base. He's, he's a recognizable name, and I think um, a name that the crowd would recognize for Forbidden Door. Um, meanwhile, I think you're taking a, a gamble if you, you throw out an uh, unknown in uh, Yota Suji. So, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to go Sonata here, um, and I think we'll also kind of get a decision on kind of where Suji lies, like if LIJ kind of maybe comes out post-match to help him back to the, to the back. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, Rambone Slam Pig asked, are we in for a Suji shock at Dominion or will Sonata retain? If he does retain, how do you think that will impact Sonata in the G1? And that's something I'm sort of wondering, you know, um, 
it, it's something you keep bringing up and I keep forgetting is like, yeah, we do have forbidden door prior to G1. And I guess we have to take that into account that it's not a foregone conclusion that whoever wins between these guys goes to the G1 as champion. But that is sort of what I'm expecting. Like I'm sort of expecting that neither, regardless, neither of them goes to forbidden door and drops the title to anybody, especially like say an AEW guy, but that I guess that's on the table. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we don't know if they're going to do champion versus champion or, the champion defending against the AW guy. So, but in either situation, I think they would probably want the more recognizable name in that position. Yeah. Maybe we get Snada versus Kit. <laughs> oh boy. Um, so yeah, so that, that's our uh, dominion preview and prediction. So dominion this coming up Sunday on njpwworld.com make sure you use the njpwext to uh log in watch that show uh should be a heck of a show i think it's gonna uh be one of the top shows of the year not much more to cover here just a couple quick news and question items so uh new japan pro wrestling will be holding a public showcase of the njpw academy spring 2023 class at the njpw dojo on saturday june 10th Matches will feature the students of the NJPW Academy displaying their skills against their fellow classmates, coaches, and others. So, you know, uh, I guess the bigger story here is like Katsuri Shibata done with the LA Dojo. So, you know, and all of his trainees pretty much graduated. Uh, It does look like DKC is there as a trainer alongside uh, Fred Rosser and Kushida. And uh, uh, Bateman. And yeah, and Bateman, but what we previously knew as the NJPW Dojo, the LA Dojo is no more. It's pretty much the NJPW Academy moving forward. Yeah, really interesting. Kind of curious to see some of the names that are going to be a part of this showcase and just seeing how the training is going. Like, obviously, we saw how great of a trainer Shibata was with just the output of Fredericks, Coughlin, Connors, Kid, Knight, DKC. Um, a, a great crop there So I'm curious to see with a, a change in trainers You know with uh, Bateman DKC hand, handling the beginners class And Kushida and roster hand, Handling the, the advanced class I'm really curious to see how their training style What they end up creating I'm not curious about shit <laughs> this, I know a grift When I see one bro Alright this is a wrestling school No more no less this is basically Monster Academy okay this is uh what what's the um the monster the factory? That, yeah, this is monster factory, bro. This is just people going to a school learning their craft and then they're gonna go off and, and work indies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> until until I see some sort of pipeline to, to get the dudes that are already in, in the waiting from the LA Dojo tapped in, I don't I don't give a fuck about no NJPW Academy. Like fuck out of here, bro. <laughs> This is a money-making venture for New Japan. No more, no less. Um, El Desperado will be a participant of GCW's Tournament of Survival. If you are not familiar with the Tournament of Survival, it's a deathmatch tournament. So I might tune in for my first ever GCW, you know, deathmatch tournament. If El Desperado's going to be in it, that sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, we've seen what Despy can do in uh, deathmatches. So I'm sure, yeah, he will absolutely kill it in that tournament. 
But yeah, we got uh, two quick questions, then we're going to get to the match of the week and get out of here. Yep, so uh, Death Triangle 720 says, if New Japan is going to be focusing on young talent, what talent can they bring in that would be a great young heel to have in the picture? My pick would be Ricky Knight Jr. Ricky Knight Jr. is very good. And uh, yeah, that's a guy I would love to see in New Japan. But then again, you're kind of like leaving uh, Repro destitute. He's like one of their top guys. Um, I don't know. I I actually don't know. I couldn't tell you who they should bring in. Uh, yeah, I mean, Rick Knight Jr. is, yeah, he's great. I love him. Um, but, yeah, I, I feel like they're focusing more on, on domestic guys now and just kind of uh, create. I feel like they can create a, a, a top heel from the guys that they have in their system. Maybe the Kingo. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> uh Lazy Binger says, has there ever been a booker or bookers in wrestling who have been as good or better at aligned stuff and getting everything behind someone when pushing them to the next level as current NJPW? Even when they were unsuccessful with evil, they realized it and are making good use of him now as mid-card co- comic heel act. I would love to be a wrestling historian one day. Uh, with that being said, I don't think I have the full knowledge of what bookers have done, what in what eras for what promotions at what various times. I mean, that's one of those things where like I I have peripheral knowledge and I couldn't tell you what the resume of any particular individual really is uh, without doing a deep dive. Yeah. I think it'd be hard for us to just kind of throw out a random answer, kind of using modern bookers. I think, yeah, we'd want to do a more of a, a deep dive and, kind of study the, the booking patterns of previous bookers of the different territories and kind of see situations they were in, how they pivoted and stuff like that. With that being said, I, I'm going to answer Don Owens. <laughs> 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 All right. So that's going to take us to a recommended match of the week. Uh, last week, I recommended golden lovers versus Okada and Ishii. You know, Jeremy, it's kind of fucked up. Like, not only did I have a, a crazy weekend, but the fi- the finale of Succession happened this weekend, and I didn't think it was great, but then, uh, for whatever reason, it's just stayed with me all day. And then you made me watch the one of the peak events of the peak era of New Japan, and that shit's never coming back, and it's not <laughs> fun to watch the Golden Love in 2023. It's not fun to watch Golden Lovers versus Okada and Ishii as much as I thought it would be. It's kind of sad, actually. Sad. <laughs> um, no, this was awesome, and it was very interesting. Like I'm, I'm watching the show, and I'm seeing all these like people, and I'm like, those are our friends. I know like a bunch of the people that are like at ringside of this show. It's so fucking weird, but... Um, yeah, man. Uh, Golden Lovers versus Okada and Ishii. Um, I, I'll say this. I thought it was great. And I don't recall how I felt at the time. But I know Dave gave this five stars. And I feel, I feel like either I didn't agree. But if I didn't agree, I don't necessarily fully agree with that. I think it's like one of those things where like Dave was just so hot on the product and so hot on everything that he was just like, Kind of a tad bit overrating, but nevertheless, this match is phenomenal, and it's hard for it not to be. I mean, it's the Golden Lovers, and 
it's one of those things where like their 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 final run together was like a legacy run where they were just putting out incredible tag match after incredible tag match against you know a, a bunch of different people and you have Kenny Omega and Okada against one another probably the only time they were ever across the ring from each other in North America then you have the long history of Ibushi and Ishii violent matches and this is the area where they're like uh you know pretty much like the peak performers of of the G1 in that in like the best era of the G1 and you know Kenny his recent string of defenses and matches with Ishii as well had just occurred like there's just a lot going into this and all four guys got there and they just kill themselves and they have a super incredible inventive violent brawl the crowd is so hot for it um easy four and a half probably higher than that and if you've never seen it i would highly recommend it um i forgot that this was the main event of the evening and i think the one thing that keeps me from giving it like say five stars is like a couple months later we see this golden lover team go out there with will osprey and tanahashi have what i consider a true five-star classic and i don't think this is like in the same category as that match you know what i mean yeah but it's just another drop in the bucket of amazing performances from the Golden Lovers during their final, you know, period together. So, uh, incredible match, and you should definitely watch if you haven't seen it. Nice. And uh, for excursion match of the week, it was the AEW International Title match from last Wednesday's AEW Dynamite, the Go Home Show. For double or nothing, uh, Orange Cassidy uh, defeating Kyle Fletcher to retain the title in 15 minutes and 5 seconds. Um, I thought this was a overall a really good match. I wouldn't say it was a great match. It seems like they are uh, they were just kind of off. Like they kind of were on the same page uh, a little bit. And uh, the crowd was also super weird this night too. And, I mean, Kyle Fletcher is out here doing Michinoku drivers, spinning Michinoku drivers, tombstones, and, like, the crowd was just not super into it. Um, I mean, overall, I mean, it was a, a very good match. Kyle Fletcher, you know, trying to show out because he's about to get signed and become all elite. And, you know, also Orange Cassidy's on this incredible, you know, international title reign right now with all these defenses and great matches. And, yeah, I mean, Kyle was kind of throwing everything out at Orange Cassidy, um, kind of all of his big Moves, you know, the Aussie Arrow and, um, you know, his uh, version of the Tombstone Pile Driver. And he was kind of going out here trying to show up all his arsenal. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, Orange Cassidy was uh, able to withstand and uh, hit the Orange Punch and was able to uh, defeat um, Kyle Fletcher here. Uh, I'm kind of like three and a half, maybe 3.75 on this match. Well, Jeremy, you know, it's like they say, it's not what you do. It's when and how you do it. And you can do all the big moves in the world, but you got to do it at the times that are going to make the fans connect. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, that is going to do it. So this week for the recommended matches of the week, I have the recommended match of the week. And uh, Jeremy, I've never seen this match that I'm going to recommend to you. Okay? Okay. I am going... Part of the whole reason we do this is to find those deep dark hidden gems of matches and there is one period of time where there were a bunch of shows that occurred for new japan while we were doing this podcast 
We just didn't fucking watch them shits. And it's mainly because they it took so long for them to get posted, and we were so busy that it was just like we're not gonna review that shit now. <laughs> and that was the New Japan, um, what is it called? It's the Australia tour from 2018. Oh, was it like a was a down under tour kind of thing? Uh, yeah, it's like the down under or the down under siege or something like that. Um, but the first night of the tour, there is a match. It's on New Japan World. I verified this. It's the Fallout Down Under Tour. And on February 16th, the main event of that tour is the Young Bucks versus Kazushika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii. Oh, and wow. I, I don't remember this. <laughs> there, there's, there's not a lot of reviews online about what happened during that tour. There's a few. There's not a lot, and I just have the inkling of a feeling that that match probably rules. Yeah. Oh, I'm always down to watch Young Bucks a match, so. So, I'm going to suggest, without having watched it myself previously, and without any verifiable proof that it's any good at all, that the main event of night one is probably incredible, because it's Young Bucks versus uh, Chaos, so let's go with that one. All right, and then for the excursion match of the week, we're going to go with Zack Sabre Jr. versus Michael Oku from RevPro's Revolution Rumble, which happened on March 26th of this year, and that match is on NJPW World. Oh, nice. Yeah, I saw that uh, Zack worked uh, Jordan Oliver this past weekend at GCW. I was like, oh, Zack's out there uh, working indies again, huh? Yeah, I saw that too. Kind of weird, (laughs) Zach and GCW. Nice. Well, that's going to do it for the show. We did it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's going to uh, wrap things up for us here this week. Next week, we'll be back to review Dominion with Tony Donati. So make sure you you come back next week to check out the review of that. And uh, if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo also make sure you're leaving ratings and reviews on apple podcast spotify or whatever podcast app you use that uh, allows rating and reviews we can definitely use that to help us move up the rankings and uh, make sure you connect with us on social media on twitter the show is at ki strong style you can follow the network at social suplex you can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook.com. You can join uh, the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group. Also follow us Facebook.com slash Social Suplex on Instagram. I am uh, where the, you can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me on Reddit, the pro black guy. Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at Social Suplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. Grave Consequences, hosted by Caleb Baldwin and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd Johnson Jr. Austin Sumowitz. The AW Match Guide podcast, hosted by Sir Sam Brown. And the Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcast it's your bomb bitches 
Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.